I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. I hope everyone had a happy holiday season and happy new year. So by the time you listen to this, we will be on the cusp of 2022. 2021 was a real fucker. And so hopefully 2022 will either be better or it will lean so hard into fuckery that we enter a new world of absolute delicious chaos. Who knows? I'm down for either repair, destruction. I'll take anything at this point. I'm looking for change. But uh, we are, as, as uh, what we do at the end of the year, every year, we're going to be counting down our top 10 movies of 2021. And with me to do that, you know him, you love him, regular guest of the show, Mr. Andy from Movie John. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, hey. Uh, thanks for having me back, Dan. It's been a while since I've been on the show. I think the last, also, I think the last year-end one I did might have been like 2018. So it's been a minute. Damn. Back in the awesome. back in the before times, the before oh, times, oh the man, before times. Back when we had hope and and all that fun stuff, and everyone's just jaded. I'm loving that meme where where it's like uh uh like exiting to or it's it's two exiting 2019, and yeah, then yeah, and then entering, entering 2022. 2022, and it's some it's always some haggard movie meme, be it like the the bum behind the dumpster in Mall and Drive or. Or, you know, just that kind of thing. But um, right on. Um, so a little housekeeping up front. Uh, you can follow the show at Movie Movie Cast on all of the things. It's part of the Movie John Podcast Network. So check that out at moviejohn.com. I also want to shout out the guys at Plus Two Comedy, who I know are listening right now because every year Plus Two Comedy does the uh, Movie Movie Challenge. This is something that was invented by Plus Two Comedy, was advised against by Movie Movie because we said this is like a lot of work, man. You're doing but I love that they're doing it. And I know that some of Plus Two Comedy's Patreon subscribers are very excited about this episode because they're excited that Noah and the gang are going to have to go through every single movie we mention. So those who are not familiar uh, with this, whether the movie is on mine or Andy's list or not, if it just comes up in regular conversation, the rules of the movie movie challenge is that Noah will have to stop the podcast and watch whatever movie was mentioned if he hasn't seen it already. Um, I, I suddenly feel so much uh, power in my hand. Knowing I mean, that I'm, it's like I'm about to be in control of a lot of this person's life for a while. But I'm going to do this to him right up front. Uh, one movie I did not see this year was Drive My Car, which is like three hours long. So Happy New Year, Noah. I just mentioned Drive My Car. Um, so he has to watch it even if you're not really, like if you just say the name, you have to watch it. I didn't make these rules. <laughs> Noah made these rules. And the last that I checked, it was any movie that's mentioned, be it, you know, uh, I don't know, Private Resort or, uh, you know, Rocky Three. It could be it could be anything. And, uh, but only if he hasn't seen it. He only if it. he hasn't seen it. Okay. And so whereas like maybe he has seen Tenet. He probably he's probably seen Rocky Three before. He's probably seen Rocky Three. Has he seen Doctor Zhivago? 
I he mean, will soon. <laughs> he will soon. Maybe not so soon because like there's no metric of starting Dr. Zhivago and ending it that fits in the window of soon because that movie's like a couple days long. But so shout out to Plus Two Comedy. I love that you do this challenge. I love that it has yet to be completed. I think this year, since there is just two of us rather than like three or four, uh, you might have a chance of getting through it. But good luck with uh, Dr. Zhivago there. So uh, anything that you'd like to intro your list with, Andy, in terms of caveats, thoughts, how um, you compiled it? Yeah, so, you know, this year I just basically went with movies that I saw this year. Um, in the past, it, I would have kind of waited till maybe something had a, if something had a theatrical release the following year, but I saw it at a festival, uh, I might kind of withhold it. But this year I said, why the hell not? I'll just include anything that I actually saw this year. Um, and there's a couple of movies that actually don't have uh, a theatrical release until 2022 that I included okay. in this. So, you know, I'm going to be one of those people. Fair uh, enough. One of those coastal elites who gets to see movies. I um, think that at a time where where time is kind of a thing that doesn't seem to exist anymore. Exactly. Yeah, who especially <laughs> in terms of like of like movies releasing. You know, there's always something that gets stuck or there's something that, but I always take it as like, if I saw it at a festival, even though someone might not see it until next year, if I include it in my list, uh, I like to think of it as keep an eye open for this one. You're going to want to see it. Right. It gives it some good attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other caveat is that there was a few like kind of big end of year movies that I saw where I'm still kind of thinking about them. So I've decided to just kind of put them aside and I wasn't even going to worry about it for the year end list. That's smart. I, I toyed with that because there's one movie on my list that like I loved and I think you probably know what it is already, um, but I really need to see it again at the same time. Uh, well, I mean, I'll go into my caveats here. This is, uh, I didn't really leave anything out specifically where I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that or that. But my main qualifiers were just how much fun I had watching it and or how much, how much time I've spent thinking about it since. That tends to be the most, the most uh, enduring method of me determining what I enjoy. And so, you know, these are just things that there, you know, there's no objectivity here. I think it's all, all subjective. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and so for that reason, there's one movie that I'd like to see again, but I had such a fucking good time watching it. And I think about that all the time that it made it onto my list. And then of course the standard is that these are all just a snapshots. This has, I reserve the right to change this uh, at any moment for any reason at all whatsoever, but it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, which movies have loomed the largest in your mind. Um, mm -hmm. And if you saw some of these again, you might say, yeah, you know, it's not as good as I remember. Um, but, you know, that's okay. It, it is what it is. And, and plus it's a chance to just kind of celebrate uh, some maybe lesser seen movies that mm -hmm. people aren't talking about as much. I'm into that. I love seeing that. Shall we do it? Let's do it. Let's ready. do it. Okay. Um, I'll start. That way you can get the nice one spot. Oh, at the end. I'm honored. So do you want to do, should I count down my 15 through 11? Sure. Why not? Uh, just to, we'll rattle these off fast because these yes. are, or do we want to save them for honorable mentions later? What do you think? Uh, yeah, let's go for it now. We've, we let the cat out of the bag. So Cat's out of the bag. Go with it. Yeah. Okay, so my number And 15, I'll rattle my 15 through 11 off too. 
okay, we'll do that. And then I'll pop in at 10. So my 15 was a movie that uh, I caught earlier this year. It was only out for like a short amount of time. But did you happen to see Reminiscence? Yes. I that that was like this year's mute for me. Remember Duncan Jones's mute where it's like I, I can see how this is not terribly good. But it is like sharp, original, very well acted, very well directed. It is, um, oh no, now I'm going to forget her name. The director, she's behind Westworld and stuff. Part of the the Nolan clan. The, the Nolan Lisa Opa. Joy. Lisa, Lisa Joy. Joy, that's it. Yeah, part of the, the Nolan Opala family. Um, <laughs> so yeah. She's married to Jonathan Nolan, I think. Married to Jonathan Nolan. I would hate to define her, though, by the Nolan boys. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, so written and directed. Jonathan Nolan Joy. is Lisa Joy's husband. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's Mr. Lisa Joy. Exactly. But, uh, and, you know, frankly, on Westworld, I'm happy to demote him because that show really fell off for me. Uh, but this is Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, a uh, futuristic noir kind of movie that uh, deals in a world where people can, like, sort of dive into a matrix sort of thing, but in terms of they get to go back on their memories. And this device where you can look back on memories and a doctor such, as, not doctor, but a, a professional such as Hugh Jackman will walk you through your memories and therefore gets to witness them. And this is applied to the solving of a mystery. Uh, it's a really cool movie. I liked it. I thought about it a lot. Rebecca Ferguson, his wife. Um, at 14, I have Titan. This is a movie that I really, really, really want to see again. Um, it's it's just the kind of thing that you, Julia du, Julia Ducournau is that how it's pronounced? Ducournau. Uh, she's a hell of a filmmaker, and this is a filmmaker operating entirely off the chain. And I also learned how to time a CPR procedure via the Macarena, um, as taught by the text of this movie. So highly recommend. I came out of it a better moviegoer and a better person. Uh, at 13, I have A Quiet Place Part 2, because I think that is hands down one of the best studio horror sequels ever made, ever, ever, forever. Uh, just beyond thrilling. Uh, what's his name? Office Boy. He found so many different things to add into the script that he did not have a script credit on the first one. And for him to tie it in thematically and continue it without making it the John Krasinski show, I think speaks to a very uh, healthy and impressive filmmaker. And uh, it was just awesome. That uh, opening uh, scene, like the whole flashback opening, going back to that day, it was just, uh, that was just so incredible. That was like that's white knuckle stuff. Perfection. Yeah, and terrifying. And I, I think what's so cool is it starts at like a, a baseball game. Yeah. And we've all been there. Parents are hanging out on the bleachers. Kids are playing. It's kind of gloomy outside. We've all done that. And to have that normalcy completely turn into, oh, no, your life is defined by horror forever now. Man, that's really, really, that's a, that's a really scary thing. And, you know, I would say you pulled it off. Uh, my 12 is Guy Ritchie's Wrath of Man. I, I think this may end up coming up again. Um, it's one of Guy Ritchie's best. It's perhaps his best, but right at the beginning of the year, it was one of the first movies I was like back in the theater for. And it just was a wallop. Knocked me on my ass. Like just a great, great, great heist movie. Great characters. You know, it's dark, it's mean, it's fucked up. It's, it's ethically compromised just about every turn. Just my kind of shit. I loved it. And I would say too that uh, 
now that I'm operating from the point of view that The Rock and Vin Diesel, as much as I love them, they're pussy ass bitches who don't really make good movies anymore. I was very happy that Jason Statham delivered the kind of movie that was promised to me when the torch was passed away from Schwarzenegger or, you know, the eighties type. And that, uh, that was great to see him just go full balls to the wall, asshole action guy. Yeah. That's going to be coming up a little bit later. No doubt. Okay. I won't go too deep then. And then my number 11 is this film called coming home in the dark. Um, horror movie, family in peril. Did you see this Andy? Yes, I did. Okay, so it's a, uh, yeah, they pull the rug out from under you about five minutes into it, and it is absolutely relentless, but it ends up being this really strong thematic thread about complicity in other people's violence and complicity in other people's malfeasance. And, uh, you know, I think that's just generally in the air as we're starting to extract ideas from the systems that, that contain us in this world. Uh, it was very interesting to see that applied to what is at its core a sort of a, a last house on the left slash joyride slash wolf creek kind of thing but with modern thematics absolutely explosive filmmaking and it has one fucked up moment in it that i think i have thought about twice a day since i watched this movie and so, i'm really curious what that moment is i'll say it's the part where he gets the attention of a car full of kids and the okay. fallout, the fallout from that. Right, right, right. I okay, I do get that. Yeah. Yeah. Some hardcore stuff. Really intense, cruel, scary, and brutal. But it's a movie that that delivers that that like grindhousey brutality that I love, but validates it by having something pretty smart to say besides just gleeful depravity. It's there's an application there thematically that I think they knocked out of the park. Um, this yeah, was the, this was the toughest one not to include in my 10 yeah i i'll real quick so so my number 15 is nobody which i think we'll probably talk about later mm -hmm. but my number 14 is coming home in the dark as, oh, well, right as well and yeah same thing it's just it's i'm glad that i knew sort of what happens at the beginning of the movie because it might have really like you know I, I could have handled it but i was glad to sort of know what i was in for and um it really doesn't, you know, it's a solid, solid movie, but to me, it really like shines in the last kind of quarter where it sort of becomes about something a little bit different than it was before. Mm -hmm. And like one character in the film sort of comes into a clear focus and you realize that the movie almost is kind of about him, mm -hmm. um, even though he hasn't really been uh, talking very much, basically. And a hell of a performance from that actor. Oh, yeah. um, should we shout out his name? Yeah. Is it uh, uh, Matthias Luafutu? Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. He's a Maori actor from New Zealand. Yeah, and, this is and New Zealand definitely a Oh, yeah, for sure. And there's sort of a subtle, you know, just everything that the movie has to say about trauma, um, as well as, you know, genocide, um, you know, and oppression kind of reminds me of what we're about to talk about. Um, another movie I'll talk about later. Ah, right on. Oh, yeah, and that's, so, uh, that's uh, James Ashcroft is the writer-director on that. Um, co-written by Eli Kent and it's based on a short story by Owen Marshall so, so check out I Coming Home in the Dark yeah that's that's a really good one and I saw I read uh Alex Rudolph of Movie John had this pretty highly ranked on his list number uh, one was it his number one yeah it was oh so, yeah nice yeah he had a uh, pretty highly ranked so yeah it was uh it's it's 
it's a movie that I I kind of expected to dismiss as like, yeah, I'm just uh, sitting down to review another neat thriller. And then it ended, I'm like, shit, man, that hurt. Yeah, my and my number 13 was Riders of Justice, which maybe we'll talk about later. We won't, uh, but I watched uh, this movie much. yesterday and man, it rocked. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing movie. Um, Mads Mikkelsen, it's kind of like this year's Another Round where it's a sort of a deadpan Danish movie about, you know, middle-aged guys basically dealing with, you know, the doldrums of life, but also recognizing that like, you know, you need friends and people and uh, relationships in your life. But of course it all revolves around like a terrorist plot and, uh, you know, seeking revenge on like a gang of motorcycle dudes. So, uh, and it's, it's like very hilarious and, you know, pretty violent, um, but it's just great. It's just, it's a great movie. It was regularly shocking, but not in ways that were like upsetting so much that it was ways where I'm like, I can't believe this is the development that's happening. Right. Like, and my number 12 was, um, oh, sorry. Oh, no, I just wanted to say you could be mistaken looking at Riders of Justice, which is on Hulu and seeing the, seeing the, the, you know, the play button going, oh, that looks like Mads Mikkelsen doing a Taken. And like, it's not, not that, but it's not that. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> I keep on thinking about the, the last scene where, or not the very last scene, but like the big climax where, there's also a guy who has like an an arm who yeah yeah it's like his arm doesn't work basically like he has, he like has a, a special arm. fin yeah 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 and and he but like you know and he's using his one good arm to just like do you know do machine gun blasts from left <laughs> to right and it just looks really the movie is just kind of leaning into it it just looks really funny um and he's just but the guy just sells it completely it's amazing yeah it's this is one that if I watched it earlier in the year it probably would have made my list but like I quite literally watched it at the laundromat last night yeah and um you know but it's like there's a movie by this same director called Men and Chicken that also stars Mads Mikkelsen and it is absolutely indescribable but it is once again like a middle-aged man dealing with you know just the malaise of life uh that kind of thing but more of a comedy like uh leaning further into the absurd comedy and so it's really really good i liked it a lot but i think it's ultimately less successful than riders of justice because it's not leaning on any sort of genre convention and whereas riders of justice applies that genre convention to deliver me this a story that men and chicken would have would have delivered yeah exactly and it there's a trojan horse of just you know uh male friendships uh when you're older how hard that can be and Mm. You know, uh, obviously there's a Trojan horse stuff about philosophy and probability um, mm-hmm. and chance and fate and all that kind of stuff and statistical probabilities. It's it's super nerdy and super violent and just fun. The characters of the two, well, actually, ultimately three, the computer slash whatever guys, I could watch a whole show that's just the three of them getting caught up in adventures and applying whatever their skills are they were so entertaining and the guy with the the messed up arm like what a character and what a performance yeah they're kind of like the danish uh what is it called the smoking men from x-files i was thinking the same thing uh they were called called? uh, no they're not the smoking men no the cigarette smoking man is a guy who's right 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 the x-files him and krychek working together it's the uh everybody's yelling at us right now the lone gunman the lone gunman yes yeah 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 Lone gun. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Man, they were. Lone I remember. Gun. 
the very first episode of that show because i was an x-files watcher and then they showed the lone gunman like commercial and i was like oh they're, they're on they're on the x-files i guess they're getting their own show but they sold it in the commercial via a what is i don't remember it directly but i'm sure is now an embarrassingly dated matrix parody well everything old is new again because i've, I've seen more than a few like matrix yeah. parodies back again this year which are you telling cool. me that space jam a new legacy is on your list <laughs> no but no i'm referring to the uh serena williams um yes matrix ad which is a good ad but it's just funny because it's like it seems like something that would have come out in 1999 yeah we're back again blink 182 is pumping out records there's matrix re- uh, references everywhere what's going on exactly so and uh, uh Real quick, number 12 is Pig. Oh, nice. Great movie. Um, almost was in my top 10, but just kind of got shoved out because had I seen it more recently, uh, maybe that would have kept it on there. But it's one of those things where there's just so many good ones that, you know, it just kind of gets inched out. And then number 11 was The Last Duel uh, by Ridley Scott. Oh, nice. I thought it was just fantastic. So, yeah. Those both got got edged out on my list, and they're both the type of movie that I'm sure six months from now I'll be like, "Damn, that actually probably should have been on my list." You know, like sure. that kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, loved Pig, loved Last Duel. I also love that Noah has to watch Space Jam Two now if he hasn't. So that's pretty cool. He has to watch the Serena Williams commercial too. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was. I don't, a, I don't know what they're advertising. Some kind of a some some kind of a phone. Like oh, a Samsung there, or something. It's you're able to switch back and forth between two different programmings at the same time. And that's how they're like, so you got Serena Williams or the Matrix, and then it melds them together. I think the original one is Serena Williams and Wonder Woman. And then it puts Serena Williams in a Wonder Woman costume and she kicks some ass and it's cool. But I think it would have been so much better if the commercial went with Gal Gadot playing tennis against an elite player and just getting fucking smoked because she's not <laughs> she's not Serena Williams. Yeah, but Serena Williams really sells the whole Matrix vibe so, so well. Oh, yeah. And you know what? When they put her in the Wonder Woman outfit, she's doing Wonder Woman stuff. It fits. It totally works. But yeah, Gal Gadot on a tennis court, I just can't see. Too lanky. But um, me neither. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. But I'd love to see it. And I'll say this about The Last Duel. That was a movie that, like, I'm not the biggest swords and sandals or knights and armor kind of guy. But on the strength of all the names associated with it, and then it turned out to be like just insanely entertaining. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there too. I'm, I'm really not a, a medieval film sword and sandals kind of guy, but this was just, you know, it was so clearly, um, it was so clearly evoking modern times, mm-hmm. and it's because it's a story about property, men's property, right? Yeah, that's that's really what it's about, and and women's perspectives and how one thing is a lot at the time and still today is a lot, you know, has a lot more value than the other, um, unfortunately. Mm. And I thought that the script was just perfect. Um, so good, Matt, yeah. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Nicole Holofsner. I And, you know, it really reads like you're reading, okay, this is Matt Damon's part. You know, this is, you know, Ben Affleck slash Adam Driver's part. Okay, and then the script, now this is Nicole Holofsner's part. And the end is just like a dragged down beat down to the death battle it's just the structure is perfect and i think that's a lot of what makes it so entertaining is that you can really tell like which part of the movie you're in at any point oh yeah and there's there's a there's a a, there's a a thin path that you have to walk when doing like a rashomon style story because you're essentially showing the same events over and over 
And if you do that wrong, that can become so tedious and boring. And to speak to your point, this movie never became tedious or boring because I could always tell that perspective. And even though the events are the same, that framing has captured the, the subtleties of the differences in framing, depending on who's speaking and viewing. It, we're just really thoughtful and very well done. Very clean. Yeah. Like That's I could watch that movie anymore. without sound and probably know exactly what's happening. Oh, totally. Like, and, and it's not enough anymore to just like make a Rashomon movie to be like, guess what? Everyone has different points of view. Yeah. But um, this one really was like, you know, the it surprises you what uh, the different perspectives reveal mm-hmm. because they it's what they reveal about the person who's telling the story. It's like it reveals what they think about themselves. Yes. And then yeah. you see like something that doesn't get left out in the next person's story. Um, so so it's one of these good Rashomon stories where it, the the different perspectives actually lead to character development Mm. Uh, not so much just like isn't it crazy everyone sees things differently but it's like you can see like adam driver will do something and in his perspective you see it as like honorable and he's making the choice because that's what you do but then you see it from another perspective and it comes across plainly as this guy is is overflowing with ego and you know is is mad with ego and it's the same delivery maybe even the same shot, but just with the stacked perspective against it, it, it's so different. Monumental stuff. And really good. When you have a movie called The Last Duel, you have to deliver on that last duel. And I fully expected that it would be like, okay, it's a thoughtful ending, but you know, I would have liked to see some, uh, some fighting. Oh no. This is the most delivered upon promise of a final duel as you can imagine. And with all the added character weight that you now know when this crazy, insane battle happens. Oh, Maron, what a picture. What a picture. What a yeah, picture. It, it's, uh, it delivers big, big time. Um, definitely, really, Scott's made some of my favorite movies, but he's made a lot of ones that I think are just fine. But this is definitely probably among his top six or seven, I would say. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. Sometimes Ridley Scott, well, I mean, like sometimes he just like blows your balls off. Other times it'll just like, it'll be like, oh, that's a sharp movie. That's kind of a, like a wet rag. It just doesn't, like I can tell someone who knows how to make movies made it, but it just doesn't quite gel for me. And uh, it's rare, but that happens. And I think that this one is definitely more of the former. Very, very sharp. Very well done. Here, here. Here, here. And going right back to where he began with medieval duels. You gotta love oh, it. Oh, right. The, wasn't his first movie like The Duelist? The Duelist, yeah, which I've never seen, but... There's you know. another one for you to watch, uh, Plus Two Comedy. Yeah, yeah. High plus, and that one you'll probably love. I understand. It's fantastic. All right, are we into the meat of the 10? Yep, let's do it. All right, number Your 10. Uh, this one was on my first half of the year list. It's one of the first movies I saw this year, and it is a movie that very frequently I will close my eyes, think about, and laugh because it has some of the funniest shit in it. Did you see Psycho Goreman? Oh, man, it's one of my regrets. I never got around to it. I honestly think that you'll love it. And I, I want to say, Andy, you, you will love it. I'm but sure I, I will. I could also say that to anybody. I'd be like, mom, you have to watch this. You will love it. And she will. And it, this is a movie that I defy you to dislike. And it's it's a mix of Power Rangers, uh, mix of, it's like, yeah, they're like, it's like Power Rangers creatures, uh, kaiju battles, and uh, like a 
a kid's point of view a family comedy from the 90s it's really bizarre but it's also absolutely disgustingly gruesome there's so much slime and bubbling flesh and all this crazy stuff it's a goopy movie it's a goopy movie yeah like it's it's not um you know, it's it's a it's it's a goopy movie with Polly Shore and uh, all the other stuff. <laughs> it's it's a goopy movie, and uh, yeah, because it's goops. Like you never go like, oh, that's disgusting, but you're like, oh, it's fun and goopy. But there's a gag in this movie where, and it's weird because like there's a mom and dad character, and we're of an age that mom and dad are our age in this movie, which is weird to see. But to see like dopey dad, which is if I were a dad, who I'd probably be. Uh, in this horrifying otherworldly situation is so hilarious and yeah basically he has an exchange with a disembodied head that is like have to pause the movie because you're choking on your beverage so yeah psycho gourmet it's from the guy who did the void and it's a completely different tone of the of the void but the same uh goopy goopy element as you say goopy, I, I'm kind of noticing and noticing the sort of 90s sort of vibe to it. I'm thinking about how many TV shows we watched growing up, especially on like Nickelodeon, where slime and goop were just huge parts of the show. Yeah. So I mean, no I, wonder millennials like goop, right? Exactly. We love goops. I had Ninja Turtles slime as a toy. I, I had, had Nickelodeon gack. Yep. We had ooze. We had I had monster blood that came with some goosebumps books. Slime was exactly. big. Kids are making their own slime nowadays. Slime is still big. It doesn't really got a style, but I'd like to think that we kind of, you know, we really brought slime into the mainstream, I think. <laughs> we kept that torch alive. And exactly. so, yeah, Stephen uh, Stephen Kostansky is the writer-director, and he did, yeah, The Void. Uh, highly recommend Psycho Goreman. It's, uh, it's a real treat. It's one of those like, awesome. indescribable once-in-a-lifetime treats. I'm looking forward to catching up with it, for sure. Um, yeah, I think I, you'll I enjoy it. meaning to watch it. My number 10 is uh, Wrath of Man. Um, nice. which we already talked about a little bit. I really wanted to leave this on the list because it's like, you know, if I'm being honest, I was just so hooked by this movie. Um, and I watched it on my phone, on the plane, on my way to Texas to visit my cousins. Uh, last month, I was just like, oh yeah, that movie. People said it was pretty good. And it's actually only the second Guy Ritchie movie I've ever seen outside of Snatch. So oh, nice. I kind of understand what his style is, but like, I just was so unprepared for how great this would be. Um, it definitely has that sort of Taylor Sheridan vibe where it's like, here's these really gruff professional guys who, you know, at, at one point they were in the military or public service, but they've been kind of, you know, they have to basically work in the private sector now because, you know, uh, they're rough guys and, you know, they're yeah, not their, cut out. Their for, skill set is not applicable. <laughs> they're not cut out for a desk job. Um, you know, like they're, they're weapons of war, basically. So people who have things to protect and big investments are going to hire them to do dirty work. And that's just the kind of movie that this is. And I mean, it's got a great cast. Uh, Jason Statham is in it. Holt McCallany is great. I love Holt McCallany whenever he shows up. That's how you say um, his name? That's how I say it. Holt I think McCallany. that's right. I always, in my head, I default to McElhenney because of Rob McElhenney is yeah. Mac on Always Sunny. But I think you're, it's spelled different. And I, this is the C-A-L-L says McElhenney. But yeah. um, McElhenney, McElhenney also makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's got Mac in it, the M-A-K, right? Whereas no, McElhenney- it's just M-C-C. Oh, okay, yeah, because uh, Rob McElhenney doesn't have the A. 
Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, or McDonald's has the egg. <laughs> right, <Fair> right. <laughs> also, Josh Hartnett is in it, um, yeah. which is great. What's um, his name? Like, uh, something boy, sweaty. Boy Sweat Dave. Ah, I, I knew it was Sweat Dave. Boy Sweat Dave. Classic sweat guy, Dave. Richie Convention. Everybody and, has names uh, like that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're, you're totally right. And also, uh, oh, yeah, H. Jason Statham plays H. Yeah. Holt, Hello, Holt, Bob. Holt McElhaney is Bullet. Um, and Jeffrey Donovan, who you probably would recognize from various movies. He always kind of plays the same sort of sinister straight guy. Um, he's Jackson. So I just mean some people are normal. But yeah, it was just a great movie. Um, I actually didn't even finish it on a plane. There was about, I the service went out um, as we were taxiing to the runway to like the gate and uh, during the last scene. So I had to like YouTube the last scene and the, as soon as we got out of the airplane. That must've been it was killer just that kind because of this movie builds to such a pitch. I would have been, I would have been like, can they delay our, our taxiing so I can finish this shit? I was really disappointed. I, I definitely threw a bit of a fit. Um, Internally, I tried to you know, control it on the outside, but inside I was just like a 12 year old boy again. The Uber um, driver's talking to you, you're like, Shut up, I'm fucking watching Wrath of Man, man. Can't you see? <laughs> oh, no, I finished it before we got in the Uber. So. Oh, cool. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and I also like this sort of one of these movies, kind of like Wind River, um, like there's a recent one that kind of these stories about like, okay, like we have the best military in the world, we train the shit out of these guys to be like you know these incredible killing machines you know and then they come home and then what you know yeah so now just, what yeah it, it's one of those movies where it just sort of shows america to just be this like incredibly violent place that has and there's just tons of these soldiers of war like they're basically walking weapons just yeah hanging out um and it's no surprise that you know uh hundreds of thousands of people die every year from gun violence basically yeah yeah it's just the most expected thing in the world um if we so. if we were to track it the way that the scientists track it in um riders of justice uh we could follow a whole chain of post-it notes right yes. on back to we could trail our violence all the way back yep yeah so i i just loved it it was great and now i want to actually seek out some other guy richie movies that uh, i may have skipped before you can uh, skip most of his blockbuster stuff I won't even, he did a live action version of a cartoon for Disney that I'm not even going to say the name out loud because I don't want to subject Noah to it. Um, <laughs> Actually, t- no, I know what you're talking about. He's done a lot of those. Done yeah, a lot I of will those. also not subject Noah to it. He's done those, those big, he, he's like a big director for hire by studios, but it seems yeah. like, you know, it seems like his crime thrillers at least are uh, worth a shot. Sometimes it's good though. He did Sherlock Holmes, solid. Um, you know, he directed the hell out of that. But like for my money, Guy Ritchie doing his his British crime stuff is where it's at, and like Wrath of Man, uh, kind of Americanizes it a little bit, but might be one of his best. But I would say go back and watch Rock and Rolla. Is that with Gerard Butler? Gerard Butler, Idris Elba, Tom Hardy. Um, oh man, who's that guy? He was in everything for like ten years. Uh, Tom Wilkinson. Uh, yeah, he wasn't everything for 10 years. For like 10 years, he was everybody. And then who's the guy? He actually plays uh he plays Johnny Quid in, in Rock and Rolla. 
he was on Black Mirror. He is frequently motion captured for apes movies that I don't need to name to spare Noah. What is that guy's Toby, name? Toby Campbell. Toby, yeah, he's in it, and it's an iconic performance. So iconic that the closing credits of Rock and Rolla promise that he will return. He has yet to return, but I'm hoping that Guy Ritchie's turn back towards this stuff is like indicative yeah. that we might get Rock and Rolla too. Yeah, exactly. When he's not directing, you know, big Disney live action remakes, he can make um, really brutal, uh, very solid crime thrillers. That sounds yeah. awesome. Obviously. What's your number nine? Number nine. This is the one that I'd like to see again, but I couldn't leave off the list. Why? Because every year Paul Thomas Anderson's movies get stuck between years where I don't have access to see them until after I've already tendered my list. And so Licorice Pizza is what I'm referring to. And we were lucky enough to see this earlier this year. And there's a certain heaviness that I expect when seeing a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which is wild because he makes heaviness fun. Uh, even Magnolia, which has a lot of heavy material, is is actually quite light and watchable in a lot of moments that you forget about. You forget how much levity is is put into the film. And really with all of it, I mean, Phantom Thread is, is downright hilarious. And Licorice Pizza is his most easygoing. It actually has some difficult material that I think it skillfully just dances around almost to purposefully not engage with which may even be the point I have to see it again to really think about it. I don't know. But in terms of capturing the fun freewheelingness of just being emotional and 15, but then also tying it to this, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson didn't have the upbringing that you and I had. His dad was, was it Sven Gulli? Or no, Gulardi was his dad. Um, what is that? Uh, he's like a like an Elvira style horror host, Goulardi. Oh, I and so that. that's why Paul Thomas Anderson. You know, I'm not, and I don't want to discount him because he is my favorite filmmaker. Um, you know, he made Boogie Nights when he was 25. He made the best movie I've ever seen when he was 25, and he did so with a lot of people who weren't big names yet, but were big enough names. You know, to they're big now because of impressive. That yeah. So you know, I'm sure he had a lot of connections as facilitated by being part of a Hollywood family. <laughs> and so the character of oh shit, now I'm gonna forget his name in Licorice Pizza. Gary and Valentine. Gary Valentine. He's like a, a a loose analog of Paul Thomas Anderson. And so I like the idea of just a freewheeling good time of a couple of kids. Uh, they're just like fucking off one summer. Uh, because that's what that's what I guess what it looked like then um, it's a lot of fun but I do think about it in terms of of just the the thematic material and and the difficult material regarding their age gap and things like that uh, but I think that it's I think that it's a thoughtful enough rumination and an innocent enough one that it's it's just kind of nice to see it I it, like it feels like Paul Thomas Anderson had a grandkid recently, and I know he didn't, but it feels like he did. It was like I'm going to make this movie, for, you know, for that. And you know, this, I know what you mean. The same way that like Tarantino, when he made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was like, oh, you you just got married, and you're thinking about you're thinking about how wonderful your life is. You know, you're you're feeling it, and right. and you sense that love as opposed to the cynicism. And I really felt that here in Licorice Pizza, whereas that's wholly absent from something like there will be blood yeah exactly and and i think he you know my favorite paul thomas anderson movies are more when he made people who really 
basically movies about broken people suffering immensely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I, I kind of like those movies a little bit better, but sure. But you know this this one was fun. Like I I really had a good time watching it. Um, the whole age gap thing, you know, I I didn't. There's nothing like wrong with it. Like it's not like a transgressive thing. Yeah. In the movie, but I just feel like I I had a hard time finding like. I just thought it was like an awkward thing to sort of place in the center of the movie. Um, yeah. It was probably the part of the movie that I had the most trouble, like emotionally grasping, you know, like I couldn't mm. really like place my, like it wasn't really a good emotional center of the movie for me. And then, um, and you know, maybe it's cause I'm like old now I'm like, Hey, you guys should maybe, I don't know. This is kind of weird. Maybe yeah. we shouldn't be together, <laughs> but also, you know, I mean, but you know, Hey, whatever. It's like, they're young. The whole point is that, yeah, they're young. They're both kind of dumb in different ways, depending on their, for different reasons. They're not mature um, yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's like an ode to that time. And, and that is totally fine. Um, I, I really, I liked the movie that was built around them so much more. Like I, mm-hmm. I loved Sean Penn's character. <laughs> John <Tom> Peters. Waits. <laughs> I love John Peters. Like all, I like the sort of shaggy anthology style yeah. that kind of developed into. And, that actually might even be like the a different movie every it. 20 minutes you know yeah um that was great and and yeah cooper hoffman's incredible too like he's and a he's lot of hype also incredible absolutely incredible and this is also i mean it's it's a it's a funny thing because it's in the conversation but i think it's actually pretty valid it's it's kind of cool that they don't look like superstars like they're both normal they have flawed asymmetrical faces they're not yes. brad pitt they look like people you know uh, despite the fact that they're now going to be superstars forever but hey you know win one for the normal for the schlubs out there yeah they um, look incredibly normal absolutely i think you're right like this this movie as a whole package works better for me than any one individual element like i, I really like the world i like hanging out in the world um it is weird to have that relationship as an emotional center i think it plays pretty clean in terms of like legality just because it's yeah at it's the end not of the like day, transgressive but the yeah end of the day. it is a friendship and it's treated as a friendship but for me what's so funny about watching it is i remember at 15 feeling grown up for the first time and then i remember at 25 being like now that i'm actually grown up 15 i was a kid and so now I'm 37 and I look at someone who's 25 as, as uh, Alana Hames characters in the movie 25. And I go, even she's not the adult here because I look at her and I go, Hey, you're just a kid. <laughs> like how, what yeah, do I have to I mean, that's a really to a good point. Girl? And it's really a lot of fun, but it's also, you know, my back hurts, get off my lawn. It, it's, it's frustrating right. that way. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think that's like kind of the whole point of the movie. Like yeah. he, he thinks his whole life is ahead of him and he's a grown up and that it'll always be that way. She thinks her whole life is over and yeah. she's 25 and it'll always be that way. And, and yeah. And then we're a couple guys in our mid thirties and we can look at them and be like, neither of y'all have any clue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I promise it gets so much worse. I got <laughs> <laughs> They're just like navigating, you know, just the navigating these sort of perceived worlds of adulthood. Um, yeah. And you know, that's where you meet your Sean Penn's Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper, Benny Softy. Um, and, and I love those and all the people that they come into contact with are just, they're also extremely self-deluded just in different ways. Yeah, um, they've just put more time in. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've, they've fought a lot harder to craft their, um, there's fewer cracks in their whole scheme yeah. because they've had to work so much harder to 
kind of craft these um, acts, these faces and masks that they we got scar tissue, all over, emotional scar tissue it becomes yeah, a shield. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like uh, that's that's a. Uh, and when I'm 47, I'm going to look back on this conversation and be like, that child sounds like an idiot, you know? Exactly. But yeah, the, the probably the two best moments in any movie this year were Tom Waits emerging from the smoke in a bar and uh, Sean Penn hopping on screen and Jacob immediately getting up to use the bathroom because because <laughs> it's a long movie and, and he doesn't love Sean Penn. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I loved seeing Sean Penn back in a movie. I just... Oh, yeah. I, I mean, he's him. a crazy person, but you know he's he's you know he's been a lot Penn. of my favorite movies he's sean penn he can still do it when he's given the right material and that's just that's you don't gotta explain it to me i'm too much of a fucking mel gibson fan and he's fucking <laughs> he's certifiable uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah and so it's like i uh, uh <laughs> it is i get it is. i get it i enjoy seeing sean penn. no heroes no heroes no heroes don't make heroes out of these people <laughs> but yeah licorice pizza is one of those ones where you know maybe you would be on my top 20 but PTA is kind of a different category altogether. So yeah, I, I know enough. I'll be seeing that movie several more times in my life. So oh yeah. Oh, it's yeah. All what good. do you got? What do you have? My number nine? nine is Tick Tick Boom. Oh, this was a tough cut for me, man. I love this movie. Yeah. This one's great. Uh directed by Lynn Manuel Miranda about Jonathan Larson, the uh guy who wrote Rent. But it's a really interesting movie because it like the structure of it is one that I don't think I've seen like in many other films. It's sort of a biopic it's sort of a period piece it's sort of a prequel it's sort of a musical adaptation um it's like you know because tick tick boom was one of his earlier works uh long before rent so i love how this like someone described that this movie is like the inception of musicals mm -hmm. and i know what they mean because it's like it is sort of a russian nesting doll structure of like there's the you know there's this part and then there's him and then you know there's yeah. this part and then underneath it all there's this part it's cloud um, atlas yeah, exactly. It's just Cloud Atlas. It's just Cloud but, Atlas. The but, book, uh, not the movie. I don't really like, and I'm not much of a musical theater guy. I don't really like Rent too much other than like one or two songs. Um, so I, was I have some really... knowledge about that as to why you might not like Rent. Oh, interesting. What is well, that? because Rent, and I learned this from Jenna, because uh, I don't love Rent either. I like a couple of the songs, but uh, Larson died while Rent was in previews. Right. And right. in previews is where the creator watches this, knocks out all the kinks, rearranges, does whatever it is. So Rent as it stands is a play unfinished. Wow. Well, okay. And I, so, I kind of assumed that it was like, you know, locked and loaded and ready to go. No, when he not until previews away. are done. I see. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, and so it's a yeah, little unfinished. So, well, I mean, there you go. And obviously people responded to it enough. You know, was that in due to his death? I'm not sure. Um, but it's I remember not a bad being, musical. It's just silly. It's well, I don't really like I'm not a big musical fan altogether. Yeah. I like musical films quite a bit. Um, but I'm just not. I've the last time I went to Broadway was probably, you know, 20 years ago. Mm. Um, but anyway, so the point is I was just very surprised. I thought it was just a very relatable story about once again turning 30, also this theme of uh youth and reaching certain ages where you think it's all over and then only to realize that you've basically just begun um how he basically creates the stuff that is really receives a lot of love and uh positive regard and yet it's just not good enough basically for wh where he wants it to be mm. um and i i'm nowhere near like the aspiring artist that he is or anything like that but i just i love this story at, about you know this is something like 
you know, portrait of the artist as a young man, basically. Mm -hmm. This is, he thinks he's made it. He thinks he's at the end, but it's kind of never quite where you think it is. He didn't realize that it was just beginning. And yet, like the crazy truth is stranger than fiction. It was almost the end for him because he passes away so suddenly, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but so I thought that this movie really functions as just like a great ode to him that he, regardless of whether or not he was able to kind of, you know, he didn't get to see what happened to his his play, his musical, but um, he seems like he really made the most of his life while he had it, regardless of what success he may or may not have achieved. And that I think is really inspiring. I, I agree. I, I was very impressed by this movie. It was, um, you know, I... I I, I see a lot of theater now just, you know, by way of dating Jenna, because she's a theater artist. And uh, so I learned a lot of stuff and I've grown accustomed to a lot of stuff. But she told me that the format of, of Tick, Tick, Boom, the show is essentially him with the keyboard and the band doing storytelling and then doing the songs. And so it's only in the movie adaptation that we actually get to see reenactments of the stories that he's telling and some of the musical numbers integrated into those retellings. And what a oh, that's what a, great! That's a really smart move by uh by L to the double M, to uh to do it that way. Who's a great director? Turns out. Turns out, yeah. Like I, he kind of annoys me sometimes. Uh, when he's like his whole, I'm generally pretty annoyed by him. But like when he gets behind the camera and he, you know, he directs. Oh man, the dude's the dude is rock solid. So that was that legit. was really cool to see. I I was you know starting to kind of reconsider him and where my dislike for him sort of comes from is just that's what happens sometimes when people are so overexposed and incredibly you know positive but this movie just was so emotionally balanced in such a great way i both i both really grew to respect lin-manuel miranda and also rolled my eyes at him when i was reading about hamilton because i thought hamilton was was staggering i loved it but he got the idea to write Hamilton when he read that giant Ron Chernow Hamilton book that he chose as a vacation read. And as soon as I heard that, he just was like, what should I read for my vacation at the, on the islands with my wife? You know what? I think I'm going to read a textbook. It was like, that is. I have the Ron Chernow uh, Ulysses S. Grant book. Uh, oh, nice. On my shelf, but you know, it's, it's going to be a, a, a doorstep or a prop uh, for a long time until I read it, which will probably be never. Bring it, but, bring it on, uh, bring it with you fun. on vacation. You know, take maybe, it on maybe vacation. A nice light textbook. Check some graphs. I have the. I have Hamilton on going my to Arizona in March, so maybe oh, right on. Go for that. Yeah, maybe I'll bring go. it then, and I'll write a musical about Ulysses S. Grant. I downloaded the I think... audiobook. <laughs> oh, you did. I have the audiobook. Well, because I, I really think Hamilton's pretty awesome, but in terms of adapting what is essentially a long form textbook into a musical, that process really fascinates me. And I want to listen to the audiobook just to grab it. Yeah. And I figure it, I like good history podcasts. It probably reads as one, but yeah, that is, that is the, the double-edged sword of, of Lin-Manuel is that he is the eager theater nerd who's going to do it because damn it, we're going to have a show tonight. And right. that's the best, but also sometimes you want to be like, or we could go to bed. Right, and, and it's pro- it's mostly me. Like this is mostly oh, yeah. my my problem. That you it know, is just I funny just though. Like it's it's just a big projection. It's just like a cynical projection. So I was glad that I just, know my way around broke. some cynical projections. Oh yeah, he he just got right through to me with tick tick boom though, and and I loved it. And the music nice. is great. Um, Jacob, our friend Jacob was uh kind of pointing out that 
some of the songs almost have that uh early 2000s like something corporate vibe yeah and and, and i love I, that's the music i grew up on in adolescence so yeah so i love the songs which surprised me too um nice. great. yeah i like that therapy song where it's him and vanessa hudgens doing all the head work oh yeah um, that one's that one's amazing i just i love just like you know old school vaudevillian just like get on stage start kicking you know do a trick whatever we got to get these people some entertainment and like i love that kind of shit and that reeks of that to me oh it's like get out there and start tapping or they're gonna start throwing tomatoes i love it and then they do they just start Start tapping tapping and and they're gonna start flapping look at this guy tap oh shit there's a titty and then it's you know and whatever it is it just made a weird face oh my god yeah i think you know being a nightclub comic for so many years there's a respect for just the idea of like sometimes you just got to get up there and make sure these people don't lose their goddamn minds get up there and be in charge of the room any way you know how and art that comes from that i i've always respected yeah Uh, i love your number eight my number eight You're going to laugh when I say this. This is a movie that premiered on YouTube. It's called The Making of Rocky versus Drago, The Ultimate Director's Cut by Sylvester Stallone. That's the full title. Jesus Christ, this is incredible. (laughs) I have a lot of respect for you. I already did, but even more respect. Here's the thing. You might want to roll your eyes and laugh because I love Stallone and I love Rocky, but I implore anybody who likes film Uh, who's interested in boxing, who's interested in filmmaking, interested in editing, or even just interested in the idea of what a superstar from the 80s entering his golden years looks like. I cannot recommend this movie enough. Uh, As we all know, over quarantine, uh, Stallone recut Rocky IV with a whole bunch of new footage, cut some things out, such as the robot, uh you know re-edited the fights so there's no instances of of like a fist not connecting you know he tried to do that kind of stuff and i've seen it and i will say that the new version of rocky 4 is no better or worse than the original one but it is remarkably different <laughs> and it's worth seeing you know like it's, it's that's what's so funny about it it's like yeah it's basically the same it's, basically it's different the same. but the quality is completely the same there's a cliche out there about what can and cannot be done with turds and shininess and i think that this applies here because rocky four is like from a filmmaking perspective it's pretty weak but during this process stallone kept an iphone camera pointed at him during in the editing suite and so for 90 minutes you can watch as he's talking his way through certain edits pontificating to the camera about life, celebrity, family, boxing, editing, action cinema versus drama cinema, uh, and just about what what the legacy of Rocky means to him and how proud he is to even have the material to try and do a fun recut. It's also a testament to just like, are you going crazy? You know, start a project, be busy. Busy's gonna help you. And uh, it's just, if the story of how Rocky got made is paralleled by the story of Rocky himself, the whole thematic thread that shines through it is just go out and do that thing. Whether you're validated or not, go out and do it because you don't need to prove anything to anybody but yourself, but prove it, you know, go out, you owe it to yourself to prove it to yourself. So get out there and get it done. And I, I just love that, that it's so, it inspires me. And seeing a 77, I think 77 year old Stallone jacked beyond belief, talking about craft process in life, it just touches my heart. But 
he's such a character and he looks like such a fucking like literal monster now that it's just a fascinating thing like like he's a he is a once in a in a lifetime existence and the fact that he tries to be open about it and talk about it in this film is I think would be fascinating to some, even somebody who hates Stallone or doesn't even enjoy the Rocky movies. Yeah. I think that this is a very broadly appealing film. And unfortunately the only people are going to watch it are diehards like myself, but I I highly recommend it. It's on, it's on Stallone's YouTube and it's great. I've seen a lot of people say good things about it and I'm looking forward to seeing that because he really is just one of those, like you said, he's once in a, once in a lifetime, once in a generation kinds of, people where you know he's got this one persona as he's like a triple or quadruple threat right yeah he's a director he's a writer he's an actor apparently he's an editor you know he's he he just can and he's a painter you know he does all of these things and and he he makes time for the gym right i mean he does them sort of just much better than he's given credit for you know um like like not even just in that whole ironic way, but like, you know, movies like his Dude. Rambo that he made in what, like 2008 or 2010, that was just like an incredible piece of filmmaking. It's like 80 minutes, one of the most brutal things ever. Is it, uh, is it, you know, a, is it an acceptable piece of good political uh, perspective? <laughs> Far Absolutely from it. not, but it is just, I was trying, I'm trying to find like a, a thesaurus for PC, but um, yeah, yeah. So, good. but I just I love the guy. Um, I'm glad that he's still he's never going to stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and this seems like it's a testament to that. And and I will definitely be seeking that out. Highly, highly recommend. I also highly recommend you watch the most recent Rambo if you haven't. No, oh, Ram- I have Rambo: Last Blood. Uh, I'm not someone who gets upset by by material in movies but there's a thing that happens about midway through rambo last blood that i was like i think that that might have just offended me that was awesome. <laughs> like my jaw hit the floor during one plot development oh, yeah. that i was I like i can't fucking believe that that is fucked <laughs> yeah that is just so insanely violent and so, so over the top for no reason and i just would love to know his rationale uh for for why it is so gory and violent I think he was just working out one day and it came to him. But yeah. that's what I like. That's why I love things like Southland Tales, where it's like you do you made this movie the way you wanted to make it, and success be damned. It is it is yeah. wholly yours and respect. And Stallone yeah. is just he is incapable of doing anything but his own weird thing. And often it doesn't work, but when it does, mm, Maron. And even though when it doesn't work, it's still interesting. Well, he's like a Nicolas Cage uh, or like uh, his co-star in Rhinestone. Sorry, Noah. Uh, Dolly Parton, where it's like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're in a dog shit movie. You're getting 150 percent out of this performer, no matter what. And that's true for Dolly Parton, for Kurt Russell, for Nicolas Cage and for Sylvester Stallone and no one else I can think of. Great. Love it. Well, my number seven is also a documentary. It's The Velvet Underground. Oh, I wanted to see that. Oh, it's really good. It's by Todd Haynes, who did um, Safe and I'm Not There and Carol. Um, and Poison. It's a, Sorry, Noah. Poison? What's that? It's like an early, short, like, kind of horror, oh. kind of weird, like, more aggressively queer anthology film that he did oh. back in the day. It's cool. I caught it on movie, but uh, it, it was definitely made during 
the height of the AIDS crisis, like in that level of fear. Uh-huh. Uh, really interesting stuff. It's it's worth watching. I gotta check that out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just loved. Um. Oh wait, dude. <laughs> you know something funny? I totally skipped one. That's my number seven. Uh, well, tell, tell you what, I'll just go with it, and then I'll I'll just switch my seven and eight real quick. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so this is my number seven. All of a sudden, um, yeah, it's a great documentary. Um, it's kind of just like a Talking Heads documentary in a way, where it's just like interviewing people who are there. Um, but it's just because Todd Haynes is just such a great filmmaker. You know that he puts a lot of heart into it. He does just enough interesting editing stuff to like kind of make you think, oh, this is you know sort of different than just like one of those this isn't just an episode of behind the music nice um but you know the cool things are just they're one of my favorite bands they have been since i was pretty young because my dad would my dad got my brother into them at a pretty early age so my brother would always play them and you know so we were like in you know fourth fifth sixth grade listening to you know songs about doing heroin you know <laughs> but then again you know it wasn't that weird in the 90s when we had you know yeah, yeah. as well so um but they were just i always loved them quite a bit and they're one of those bands that never quite really entered the zeitgeist in like a really big way like they're still kind of a cult band even mm. though like you know i'll put it this way i one got of the biggest in, cult bands ever i got into the velvet underground by way of just like cultural diffusion from the soundtrack for the royal tenenbaums yeah exactly like, like my like, fandom started there right and it's it's a pretty typical doc but just one of those documentaries where you're watching and like your heart just kind of flutters as it goes yeah. and it just fills and by the end you're just like oh my god i'm so happy that music exists art exists and what a privilege to sort of be alive um while i can hear some of this great art that exists i need to watch that because i like yeah. velvet underground i love todd haynes and honestly like i'll watch footage of lou reed doing just about anything Oh, exactly. And that's that the is an thing. entertaining They're not man. just any talking heads. They're, you know, Mary Waranov is a big talking yeah. head because she like hung out with, I guess she was like one of the big factory <laughs> she's girls. she's alive, yeah. And, and she's just, she's kind of like the Forrest Gump of cool stuff, you know. Um, and, you know, Lou, Lou Reed obviously has, has passed away. So there's not a lot of like interview footage of him, but, you know, you hear his voice a lot. And he's yeah, just, yeah. his voice, one of a kind. It's just, yeah. I could listen to him talk about anything. Did you um, see uh, the Sparks documentary? I did not, no. Okay, I'm curious as to how it arranges because like, I, I only came to Sparks through that movie, Sparks. Like, They're brand new to me and I've grown to really enjoy a lot of their stuff, um, but I don't know them as well as Velvet Underground. But I was very into that movie just because Edgar Wright had a lot of fun with the direction. And I'm just curious as to how that would compare, but I guess I'll have to see it myself. I, I saw Annette. Um, Sparks yeah. are... They're a band that I have like pretty strong. Sometimes, uh, like Annette was really the best experience I've had with Sparks music. Um, other than that, I I'm not a huge fan of them. I actually interviewed during the old Cinadelphia days. I interviewed the director of a documentary about Sparks fans. Oh, nice for the Cinadelphia Film Festival. And he pointed out that like their music is so busy that like it can kind of be annoying and you have to really like make time for it and dig into it. Like you can't just have it on in the background or else you might be like, turn this off. Yeah, I agree. I am like, I I started listening to them because I enjoyed the story in Edgar Wright's Sparks, but I typically do most of my music listening while I'm working and I cannot work while listening to Sparks. That's a really good way to say it. They're very busy. 
they're very very busy it's a lot but um i did love annette um well i don't know if i loved annette but the music was incredible yeah um, that was the time that i've enjoyed their music the most the film was kind of all over the place but i liked i liked watching it though yes i liked yeah. the experience of it i 100 percent agree and noah i hope you feel the same there we go what's your number <laughs> what is it eight or number seven so the, okay so the last one i did was making of rocky versus drago oh yeah so um, now you're on number seven so now i'm on number seven this one is going to surprise you as much as it surprised me but it is a movie that maybe i just put it on at the right time maybe i it, it, i don't know what it is but uh and I, I feel like i'm the only person who watched it army of thieves yes you might be the only person that watched it let me but that's okay I love Someone's a good heist watch it. Well, what's so cool about this movie? So what it is, is everybody knows our, uh, I almost said Army of Darkness. Uh, you're welcome, Noah. Uh, Army of the Dead, that dropped on Netflix. And so after that movie dropped, and I, I liked that movie. It's kind of messy, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm your resident Zack Snyder fan. And so I enjoy what he's doing. I like his energy. I like his work ethic. He's a Stallone. He might not always hit a home run, but God damn it, he's swinging that bat. It's just hard sheer will. It. Just, like just sheer, sheer will. Like I, you know, and like, you know, a healthy dose of entitlement. Yeah. And you know what? But he's like using every bit of that. He gets know? it done. And I like that he also is very big on paying it forward. Um, he's done a lot of behind the scenes Scorsese level elevation of other filmmakers. Um he does a lot of charity work, things like that. So I always respect him. And so in Army of the Dead, after that came out, people started pouring over because it's kind of it's like a loose movie. There's a loose narrative and it feels like, you know, a soft pitch for a universe. It turns out that's exactly what it is. There's going to be a series. There's talk of like multiverse stuff. There's Easter eggs hidden in the movie involving Area 51 and like I'm a sucker for this kind of shit. And the fact that it's like universe building with non-established IP is that's kind of neat as, you know, as, so in a, in a sort of a adjacent tale of in army of the dead, there's a character played by Matthias Schoen, Schoenwager, I think it is. Um, and he plays uh, the guy who gets to like pick the locks, the safe cracker, it's the word. And so this is a prequel movie that is just the story of this safe cracker becoming a prominent safe cracker. But it's directed by that actor as well. And it's very well directed. It's an absolute, uh, absolute delight. And it's, it's one of those movies that I really expected to just be kind of stupid or even to look like a like a red notice which i haven't seen but is what it is but to look like a movie that's all blue screen and just you know maximizes a small budget by cutting corners and then it very much was not that there's some incredible set pieces i'm sure many are green screen enhanced but everything is integrated into this very tactile very colorful world and so to unlock all of that in the form of a gigantic multi-heist heist, Ocean's Eleven style, uh, it was very clever and they integrate a lot of humor into it, all the while slyly expanding the world set forth by Army of Dead a little bit. For example, in the text of Army of Thieves, there are references to a zombie attack starting to happen in Vegas, but it's sort of a throwaway thing. 
the same way that, uh, you know, similarly, when COVID first started going around, I know I was one of the people to be like, ah, you know, it's probably just another flu. Uh, the powers that be, the suits in Washington will take care of this. And like, that's sort of how the, uh, the, the zombie thing is treated in Army of Thieves. It pretty much isn't there. It's just happening in that world. Uh, so really, in a vacuum, it's just a killer heist movie. And God damn it, I love a, a killer heist movie. I, I was pretty disappointed by army of the dead so i didn't get to this one um but you know maybe one day i will because there is nothing this one's like a, a lot story. better this one's a lot better than army and i you know as somebody who liked army of the dead it's definitely a messy movie this one's tight it's very well directed it's very clever and it's very funny um i don't know if you if you heard my whole rant and rave there i did but, uh, well, okay, some of okay, it, cool. not really i came back and it was it was i had to step out for a second and it was funny. fair enough it was it's like there's Dan just ranting about the man in Washington or something like that. But I was saying how COVID, when it first started coming around, we were like, yeah, leave that up to the suits in Washington. It's probably just a cold. Right. And then it ended up stopping the world. In the text of Army of Thieves, there's like newscasts that are like a zombie infection seems to be taking over Vegas, but it's just kind of in the background, like, yeah, whatever. You right. know, it has oh, like that sort of thing. And so, you know, but yeah, Matthias Schweighofer, he is uh, who directed it and starred in it. Um, yeah, I, this is one of those movies that was just so much fun that I never stopped thinking about it. So it made the cut. That's the key. Like if it sticks with you, if you if you can't stop thinking about it, you know, go for it. And also, you don't need to watch Army of the Dead to watch no. Army of Thieves, unless you're Noah of Plus Two Com Comedy. You will have to do both of those now. <laughs> but uh, you have to, yeah. Um, you know, the idea to. that he watches, he tries to watch all the movies you mentioned in in a year. I and guess often doesn't get there basically or just gives up halfway through. He tweets through it with time codes of how much of the episode he's gotten through and how many movies he's watched, as well as what was the best and what was the worst. So it's like a running tally. There. But it often happens where it's like movies watched 45 minutes into podcast four. You know, like it's <laughs> but I remember now. I this year is gonna screen. be a lot lighter because it's it's just the two, just of, us. two of us. We we usually have like four people, and you know, we can make so, it if we try. You are now on number seven, I believe. Your right. former so number. This eight. is actually my number. Well, no, this is. I'll. I'll stick. This is still my number eight. Okay. But I just skipped ahead to number seven. That was Velvet Underground. So I'm jumping back, number eight is Red Rocket by Sean Baker, uh, which was just the funniest movie I saw all year. Um, something that I really, I was just cackling from beginning to end. Simon Rex gives one of my favorite performances of the year. He is. Um, you know, he's just the whole Sean Baker thing just keeps working really well, where he kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, his sort of ultra realist sort of, you know, like, let's take these non-professional actors or maybe actors who haven't done much in a while and let's just give them the role of a lifetime, basically. And he's just he's amazing at that. And Simon Simon Rex is really up for it. I'm a huge Scary Movie 3 fan. Me too. Uh, so it was really funny to see him lead a film again. Um and the, the whole thing's kind of like a Trump metaphor, like, you know, how easily Americans fall for, like, you know, con men, basically. Yeah. And um, how it's always funny until suddenly it doesn't. Like, like yep. me and, you know, like, I think, you know, Trump is 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 frequently a pretty hilarious guy. Like, yeah. he, he makes me laugh, uh, you know, not infrequently, you know. And um, but then suddenly he, he's the leader of the free world. But suddenly he could literally <laughs> kill us all. So uh, this is kind of the movie that teeters on that sort of like edge a little bit, where you're sort of 
you're having a blast and it's pretty funny and then suddenly you realize that uh that this guy is just truly toxic and basically needs to go <laughs> so, i uh yeah. i this was a tough cut this did not make my list um but 100 percent agreed on everything you said it's it is i remember laughing pretty consistently throughout this movie and uh but also having those laughs like be powered by groans because there's so yeah. much just like oh man you know but he's the perfect guy for it i mean like simon rex has like you know i don't know the guy but he has like kind of a skeevy air to him that's that's kind of his his charm he's like he's got the modelly good looks but he's kind of skeevy and that is employed to its fullest potential in Red Rocket, a, a role which, as I understand it, he only was offered like three or four days before they started shooting. <laughs> which I don't really know how that happens. But, but, <laughs> but it's just like something like that. I mean, I, I don't... The like, all right, ready to go. Here. We just need the main character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the story was, but I mean, also you got to understand, I imagine those movies have a large amount of improv to the yeah. point where like there was probably a shell of a script and an idea and then you put simon rex in there and he just powers through it with that crazy yeah. energy he's got yeah i loved i loved red rocket quite a lot and yeah. i probably will grow to regret not putting it on this list and and more so than baker's other films this this really has like a broad comedy appeal to it yeah you know and um of course there's that whole age gap thing going on but to me, like, that's part of the, you know, Sean Baker definitely knows. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely. He's on the right side of things here. And and he, uh, that's sort of part of the the joke of this movie in a way. And yeah. there's a part where he goes, oh, she's she's 17. Oh, thank God. Well, you know, because the age of consent in Texas is 16. Well, 16, yeah. So, okay. So I guess it's fine. You know, like, um, well, even you know, that not going to get though. arrested for this, but that moment's boy, loaded with the duality back. though because we're supposed to exhale like okay well at least i'm not watching something illegal but it's definitely loaded with the the feeling of like but this guy's a piece of shit but <laughs> it'd be illegal in pennsylvania and one or two i mean it, it's just it's so indicts like the whole system yeah and how a guy like him gets to make it to the top basically um it's it's just crazy it's great it's a great movie I would, I'm going to say something potentially, potentially completely off base, but I'm throwing it out there to see if you agree with me. Uh, when you said that Red Rocket has uh, broad appeal, it occurred to me if Red Rocket was Sean Baker's like first movie that he like broke out with, I think he would have become a more mainstream name. Like, I think it would have led to more jobs because of the broad appeal. Yeah, because possible. like I first heard of him because of Tangerine and then it was through like film circles that were like oh this shot on an iPhone movie is actually like pretty artistically well, sound to, I don't know if it's a movie with broad appeal but I would say that it's like in the genre that it's in it's like a broad yeah. comedy if that makes sense I mean in the same way that they managed to take Napoleon Dynamite which is a very weird movie and ultimately give it mainstream appeal because That's like a good I, th point. I think Red Rocket could go through that but then again I'm refuting my own point because Jared Hess has not really had an explosively notable career um, otherwise, but I don't know. I, but the, the, the rate at which we have received Sean Baker has worked for me because he has not made a movie yet that I didn't like. I, I, I considered putting the short film that he did uh, for fashion week on my list. Oh yeah. That was great. Um, you sent that yeah. to me. Kite. 
2K21. And you guys, uh, you and Garrett had him on the show back in the day. Way back in the day, yeah. If you check out our Florida Project episode, uh, you can hear us talk to Sean Baker. He's quite gracious to do that. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a cool guy to follow on Letterboxd because he just... He watches all kinds of Grindhouse. Uh, oh, yeah. Movies, and he just watches everything. And he just seems like a stand-up dude. I like that he notes uh, in his reviews or in his tags uh, in what format he saw the movie, as well as if he has any information about what lenses, film quality, you know, film stocks, yeah, cameras were used. Cool. And one of the things that I appreciate about Sean Baker is he's he's very particular about how he shoots his film. Like the idea that they strapped a lens to an iPhone is integral to the look of Tangerine. And it ties into the idea of chances are for watching the live nowadays for watching the lives of trans sex workers, we're probably seeing it through footage that was shot on a phone, you know? And so like that ties into it. Whereas, you know, in the Florida project shot entirely on film and the reason was to get, I would imagine, was to get this beautiful depth of field, gorgeous skies, uh, the distance on the horizon of gorgeous, beautiful Disney. And then in the foreground, we have this knockoff land where, you know, dreams are not being made to come true. You know, and so I, I like that he's very thoughtful about about the process of the filmmaking. And I think it's always reflected in his, uh, in his work. Oh, yeah. And like the most beautiful shots in the movie, you know, at dusk, he's biking back home and it's and it's just so beautiful but then there's just this ugly ass you know oil refinery right there that yeah. just towers over the entire town and they're also like near the texas killing fields where just people just drop off bodies like uh, like it's garbage you know yeah. and uh so there's this sort of like beauty of the moment versus sort of the ugliness of the landscape um there's a lot of duality in in his films and and it's definitely present in red rocket hell yeah I'm glad yeah. that was on your list because I was, I was, that was a tough gut. Oh, definitely. What's your number six? My number six. Oh man. Oh man. It's a movie that I loved. And uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it was a big, uh, it was a big, big number in our group text for a long time because I think Jacob saw it, campaigned for it. Then I saw it, campaigned for it. It started to go. Did you see The Empty Man? I did, but this, this isn't a 2021 movie, is it? I believe so. I, I didn't have access to The Empty Man until until like February, I, March. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter because te- it technically it might have been released in October 2020, but screw it. I love The Empty Man. Let's talk The Empty Man. Time is a flat circle. Wait, was it a released? Flat circle. What, when was this? <laughs> not to, uh, not to, you know, is there you a up, last I think it was. Is there a chance that I can get Red Rocket into my list by way of clerical error? If you want, but that, about you know, if if you here, let me look this up. Um, okay, so okay, the, the rele- empty man was theatrically released on October twenty third, twenty twenty. Okay, so uh, but but then it, like no one saw it in theaters though because of COVID, and then and then it appeared on demand. So that's where I, I first came to it was because the year. yeah, yeah, like I I don't remember it getting a theatrical release in a way. At all. Like it came I guess it. Well, we weren't going to the movies last October, right? Yeah. So, um, in a way, it came out this year. Let's, yeah. you know what? Because 2020 and I'm 2021, it. it could be argued that it's basically one long year. It could I'll be argued it this that way. it was a 24 month year. Let's Even stick with as, the empty man. I, I'm sticking with it because one, it, this became an HBO Max movie. This became the at the forefront of the conversation of movies released de- directly to streaming that are beloved should get a physical release that was like the empty man was the one thing that everybody used that and malignant were the two like 
we want a Blu-ray of this. We want a Blu-ray of this. Don't just put this in the, the digital cloud to, you know, with the Ark of the Covenant and just let it sit there guarded by top men. And so I, this came out to me, I guess it was like March that it came out on HBO Max. And that was really the wide release where everyone started to see it. So I, I'm going to say it counts. The Empty Man is just... Yeah, it's almost like it was one of those same day releases that they did. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing a bunch of people start talking about it when it posted. Yeah, so we're going to go with it. So sorry if I broke the rules, but, you know, fuck you. So it is a... It's a, it's like a terrifically scary movie. Oh, my it's God, It's a yeah. two and a half hour epic horror movie that actually feels kind of small scale moment to moment. It's not like The Shining where every fucking second is as epic as it can possibly be. This is a pretty low key small movie with a lot of big scares, but they're slowly earned scares. But what ultimately put The Empty Man on my list is that the opening 30 minutes of The Empty Man is sort of a... 30 minute short horror film that exists in a vacuum and it doesn't tie into the story in any major way until two hours later and as a little short film it is one of the scariest pieces of horror cinema i think i've ever seen terrifying imagery terrifying concept being introduced that's like otherworldly in an, in a lovecraftian way but without going so big as to as to create as to you know like do a color out of space kind of thing it's just an idea and they plant this idea and this idea spreads now i can't say anything more without without uh spoiling what is an amazing reveal but the idea of planting an idea until it becomes real is is very very integral to this whole movie and i would say like this is one of those where there was a reveal on it and i i think we're all enough movie nerds that reveals when they happen you go okay that was one of four that i considered this one knocked me flat on my ass i oh man yeah but the movie you mean just, in terms of like who the bad guy is quote unquote. yeah like as what's yeah. going oh, yeah. on because yeah. a good twist oh i was i was blown away by the twist yeah i yeah it knocks because I, I don't know about this stuff i don't know about tulpas yeah yeah and that's the sure. thing i yeah. love that stuff hi jenna hi oh get your ipad hey and, um, the, uh, I love that kind of stuff. I'm super into all that kind of ridiculous shit. And even so, it's just the way it was played was so brilliant. And a good twist makes you want to go back and watch the movie and recontextualize everything you've seen. And watching this movie a second time, not a frame passes by that isn't now different. But yeah. the even now, I'd love to go watch it again. I'd say that the yeah. rewatchability is still high, so it's not. I, I have a been movie wanting to reveals. rewatch it since since the minute that it ended. That's, yeah, that's one of those kinds of movies. I, it's so I watched cool. it on like the night before Halloween, and just I was so blown away by it. Um, and it had been talked up so much. I was like, oh, there's no way it could be that good. But it was just also different than I thought it would be. And like you said, um, you know, a lot of times it's not often that you see a movie and almost as soon as you're done with it, uh, you'd like to basically you're thinking about when can I watch that again? And, yeah. and this is one of such, this is one such movie. When can I carve out two and a half hours to watch empty man again, but to the empty man's credit, it does take the whole idea of like pastiching a ton of horror elements, the way the conjuring does where you're just, you know, boom, yeah, it's, it like it's plays like all that on the that. surface. Yeah. yeah. And it has all of that. It has like a, like a, uh, 
you know, the mythological lore idea of say on the darkened bridge, if you say this, the empty man shows like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's and even knowing the whole tale of the movie when you watch it again, it's still scary, entertaining, effective. You still care all the same, but that's the mark of a really, really good horror movie. And I think in 2020 or 2021, <laughs> the empty man uh, really satisfied where where um, a lot of horror movies come up short. I would have definitely put it on my top 10 list had I considered it like a 2020 release. So there you go. I no, I love it. Um, just so many like crazy lines, like until a civilization has fallen, it has not served its purpose. Like when they go to that society and there's just all this, you, they have to take that like quiz and check things off. Yeah. yeah and yeah. one of the lines is until a civilization has fallen, it has not served its purpose. I'm like, what does that mean? I don't know, but I do know. And then the movie just never even really addresses it. Um, yeah. It's oh, just, although, it's... See, I don't want to say too much, but at the end of that movie, him knowing what he knows ultimately is a literalization of now that this reality has crumbled, you can understand uh, further. Now that this... Uh, but I don't. I don't want to spoil because I don't. I, want to see, I don't even. I. It's funny because I've seen it, and I don't even think like it's gonna hit me like new all over again because I don't yeah. even really understand like what you're even talking about. Oh, right fair now, enough. You know, good. That's good. Then. But that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Yeah, that's good. I don't. Discover. I don't want to take anyone there. Oh, and the the Christopher Young who did all the music for Hellraiser, incredible. Oh, score. nice. Um, I, I listen to the score a lot. It's just freaking great. And I never King's thought to put it on. Is one of my favorite actors. Uh, JBD. Now. JBD. I love yeah. the guy. He just always delivers in that sort of sort of tough guy role that you know you don't see too. He's he would have so fit in perfectly in like seventies, like you know, tough oh, guy yeah. exploitation. He's definitely in like sort of sort of in the Eastwood school of things. Um, I could see him. I could close my eyes and picture him getting in a heated, sort of sweaty with booze argument against Roy Scheider. Oh yeah, I could just picture it. He's got that vibe. Yeah, I just I I love I whenever he's in a movie to me that's like a reason to see the movie. Oh yeah, Um, so yeah, great man. So my my number six, six. I think will probably come up later is Last Night in Soho. Uh, That is my number five. So we'll get into it right now. Yeah, boom. Yeah, Uh, love Last Night in Soho. Was surprised by it. Um, Didn't I knew I would like it, but I didn't know that I would really uh, get kind of blown away by it. So. You know, one thing we know is that Edgar Wright, in terms of style and craft, he's he's got it. You know, he he knows how to make a great freaking movie that looks and flows and just bounces, right? Um, you know, some people aren't aren't too into his scripts or his storytelling, but to me, this was you know all I know is that it works for me. It's a story about nostalgia, the, the trap of nostalgia, and how things you know whenever we say that things used to be better we uh they weren't better for everybody um and he's kind of trying to reconcile how much he loves a certain time period with also just how it just would chew up and chew people up and spit them out basically Mm. um and even beyond the themes of the film just like if you're just talking about the colors and the needle drops and the style and the dances and the fashion just you know it, it I love how it kind of operates in that Suspiria world like mm. I don't really know what's going on in Suspiria like the 1977 one like I, I don't yeah. really couldn't tell you what was happening in that movie 
but I know how it looks. I know how it feels. Mm-hmm. I know what the colors are like. I know what the music is like. And Last Night in Soho is definitely that kind of movie for me. Um, and, and, and that is what makes it great. Anya Taylor-Joy is incredible. Thomas and McKenzie, I was unsure of at the beginning of the movie, but she really, she really mm. pulls it out. Um, yeah, great movie. What, do you, what did you think of it? This was, uh, I mean, this is, we saw this together. And uh, we did. was, I didn't quite know what to expect going into it. I only watched the first trailer and I was like, you know what? I can go in blind. I'm, you know, Edgar Wright, hook, line and sinker. I'm in, I'm going to watch it. I don't care what it is. You know, I don't care if it's a two and a half hour documentary about Sparks. If it's Edgar Wright, I'm going, I'm seeing it. And, uh, but I was very, very surprised by just about every element of it. It was not at all the movie I expected uh, down to the the plot, the style, anything. It 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 was kind of it was really, but I, I think it's almost on purpose. Like it's it's meant to sort of be indecipherable in tone while also being very specific. The way that you're you know referring to Suspiria, which I hope no, if you haven't seen Suspiria, I'm so excited for you to watch it. <laughs> it's like really cool. Um, this had a mystery element that surprised me. Uh, I love getting got by a good mystery. Uh, I was I was totally got. Everyone's a, like, oh, that was obvious. I got got, man. I don't know. That's all. I, I, I got got, and I got and got, I got, got you know the way it was unspooled. Even if I did see it coming, it doesn't matter because there's so many things unspooling. Um, we've got a incredible final performance from Diana Rigg. We've got another incredible performance from Uki Spooky Terrence Stamp. Um, just a joy to watch him um yeah i there's really this is one of those movies that within 20 minutes i was just in it and whatever it was going to do it was going to work because its magic spell had been cast and i was under it but i think the most notable thing about it is i remember we sat down and ann was with us and Mm -hmm. ann not fond of horror movies asked you (laughs) and i she said is this a horror movie? Oh and my both God. Us, yeah. Immediately we were like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, there's intrigue, but this isn't a horror movie. And we were dead wrong. It was yeah. absolutely expressly a horror movie for much of its runtime. And to sneak a horror movie on me like that, kudos. But, th- but then at the end, too, but then as soon as soon as it was over, I was like, oh, I wonder what, I wonder if Anne liked it. I was like, yeah. what'd you think? She's like, I loved it. Yes. So so it was like, it did seem like, oh, it's a psychological thriller. Yeah. I thought you said this was a psychological thriller. Well, I thought so. Oh, well, I don't know. And and that goes to show, like, I'm glad I didn't know very much about this movie going in other than, oh, seems kind of like his chance to do like sort of a Jalo film. Yeah. Um, I, I knew so little about it and I was really got, and the last 20 minutes, I just thought were incredible. Uh, it really elevates the whole thing to another level. And, uh, the whole, uh, the staircase and the- yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, it's so good. And then the just night. that final shot, the final shot just the, literally basically ends with a chef's kiss, more or yeah, less, yeah. you know? I, uh, uh, it's just so good. We always talk about this on this show when you see like filmmakers that are very present filmmakers, sand off their edges, but maintain their identity. You know, for example, uh, watching, you know, like Seven or Fight Club versus uh, Gone Girl. You know, like Gone Girl's very much a David Fincher movie, but it, he's not directing the, you know, he's not like in your face, you know, Aronofsky. You take something like Pie or Requiem where the director's very present. Now we see Aronofsky, you do something like Mother, 
very much him, but those edges are a little bit sanded off. And I think that this is the most mature uh, film that I've seen from Edgar Wright because there's really not any winking references. There's not yeah. bells and whistles happening. You know, it's there's a very different vibe going on here. But that same, I'm going to take every opportunity to make a creative choice and make a creative choice that he's always fueled by, that's here, but it's yeah. employed even classier. So whereas it's probably not my favorite Edgar Wright film, I, I I would say that in terms of his craft, it is just, it's his best. Yeah, yeah, I I think, yeah, it's an extremely confident film. Like, yeah. he just, you know, he's got total control of the thing the whole time. Yeah. And, and, and that is really cool to see. Like, he's he's definitely getting, hitting that sweet spot in his, in his career where I could basically trust him to do most things at this point. Yeah. Um, I loved to how it was sort of in conversation with, you know, okay, like there's also this elephant in the room of like, okay, this movie, it kind of has a lot of the same basic plot of Repulsion. And, you know, and who directed Repulsion? Roman Polanski, right? Mm -hmm. So the movie's kind of also in conversation, you know, maybe it's not necessarily an amendment to Repulsion, but it's basically, it is bringing up those films in conversation and maybe trying to sort of amend them in retrospect or you know i i'm somebody smarter than i uh could say this much better but there's something going a, on there that's all I, I think. it's an effort to detach the fruits of a man like polanski and the culture that he represents it's i think it's a an attempt to extract the fruits from that yeah tree it's like oh that was a also, good idea that was yeah. a good story but let's let's take it and put it in like yeah. better hands basically pop the fruit off the rotten tree and we replant yeah. it yeah exactly that, that's exactly what it is and that's that's how it should be i mean like a, another movie sort of did that this year and rotten is a very aggressive word but in terms the of the diseased tree yeah well in in terms of like uh candy man uh the remake of candy man the, the original candy man is beloved and kind of unassailable it's really well done but it is still definitely made from a white lens, white filmmaker. And so to exist as a, the new one, Nia DaCosta's version, isn't a refutation of it, isn't a denial of it, but is just saying like, great work. I'm going to try and do something, you know, that that just through sheer, you know, yeah. uh, connectivity to it. I'm going to do something identity. a little different. Yeah, yeah like I'm going to respond to yours and push it a little bit further. Uh, and so this is like that, but I think with a little bit more of a stark, like we're going to push it further. Also, you can go, you can go right. back to your cave because we don't really need you anymore. And it has the writer, um, Christy Wilson Cairns. Yeah. Who uh, is the co-writer with, with Wright. And oh, she's writing the new Taika Waititi Star Wars movie. Pretty great. Oh, cool. Right on. Um, yeah. So yeah, and you can definitely just you know you can feel uh, uh, there's definitely a female gaze here for sure. Mm. No question about it. Or I don't know if that's that's the right term, but it's definitely like like you said, it's I'm going to take this and I'm going to sort of issue it a bit of a corrective or update it and in doing so also acknowledge that yeah maybe the past wasn't all that there were good things but it wasn't that golden age that you're talking about basically yeah. we love bond but he is a piece of shit exactly yeah. and the new movies <laughs> seem to know that which is pretty <laughs> oh yeah so uh, that was my number six what's your number five? Oh, you uh, that was number my five. number five so you're up Last again night. sir number five my number five we already mentioned kind of it's uh titan or titan dealer's pick um Titon is how it's pronounced. Titon. 
Yeah. It is French, you know, all that stuff. I cannot speak. I am bad at French. Um, so we, oui. in fact, I can't speak French. So uh, of course I'm bad at it. Uh, oh. But Teton was great. Um, one of my favorite performances of the year with uh, Agatha Roussel, who plays Alexia and Adrian. And the movie just ends in such a different place than it begins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just such a rich film that you can really like tap into so many through lines. For me, I loved just sort of the, to me, it was like a really moving story of like a father and son or father, daughter, however you want to however you want to look at it and also just father child um yeah you know the 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 dad here the fireman guy vincent who's played by vincent london he's just he's just such a relatable oaf because he just wants so badly to heal um and he'll do basically anything to heal even even to the point of like extreme self-deception a lot of the a lot of the adult men in my life uh are very very bad at at functioning in any sort of emotional way. Right, and seeing right. that writ into this character that kind of has that pulled apart is really something to see. Uh, right, exactly. But then you see that his actions are are correct. His actions are sweet. Yeah. Uh, they may be, you know, <laughs> they may be sort of, it may be too little too late in so many ways, but it's, but they're there. He's basically taking this opportunity to make up for lost time. To me, it's like a story about, you know, a father who's basically giving unconditional love and raising their child, especially if that child were to, say, come out as trans or to mm. basically if that child were to change their gender identity. Um, and and he, it's sort of like modeling. How can I just be like a good, loving father for my child, no matter what they decide in life? Mm. And there's also this sort of tragedy part of it where it's like, you know, perhaps if, you know, Alexia had had this from the beginning, things might have been different, but then they would have never met. So mm. it's just, there's so many paradoxes in the film. And uh, this is a and, movie I will be buying the 4K of as soon as it becomes oh, available yeah. to me because I'm going to watch it a hundred times. Oh, yeah. I mean, and talk and about confident filmmaking. Oh, God. It, it's unbelievable. It's a huge step up. It's like Raw was already great. This is just like, you know, with her second one, it's basically, you know, it's, you know, I could call it a masterpiece, more or less. You know, it's I it's, would agree. It's a level filmmaking. It she knocks it out of the park. And it is just a it is gross as all get out. Um, and my wife came in and during the last scene, I was like, oh, hey, <laughs> about this movie. Um and and yet, you know, I but almost I would say too that like the last scene is kind of telegraphed for a while, like you know that it's coming. So it wasn't yeah. all that shocking to me when it finally got there. But just the journey of sweetness between the two of them, like the dance scene uh, where Future Islands is playing and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the two of them are just sort of like very pleasantly just kind of like floating through this moment in time together. It's just like one of my favorite scenes of the year. Nice. I One of my favorites, I really feel like I should have bumped uh, Titan up. Uh, one of my one of my favorite scenes I think I've ever seen uh, we'll refer to here as the dipstick gag. So when you in in Titan, in Titan, when you check your oil in your car, you pull out the dipstick, you wipe the oil off, stick it back in and you pull it out and then you can measure based on how much oil is showing on the stick. Now, there is a scene where in an effort to uh, 
I mean, this is so early in the movie. I don't think it's a spoiler. <laughs> it doesn't spoil too much. Yeah, uh, in a scene where uh, Titan, who uh, has recently had sexual relations with a car, uh, concerned with potential motherhood, uses the dipstick of a car to try and perform a self-abortion. And when she pulls it out, the visual gag of the process of pulling out the dipstick, wiping some oil off and reinserting uh, was played for some extremely dark laughs. And I picked up on it and... I just want to shake Julia Ducournau's hand and say thank you for making a joke that is so brilliant and so just absolutely depraved. It is fantastic. Oh yes, absolutely. I let's just say this: I was amazed by this little detail. You don't see the color of you don't see the color of red blood anywhere in this movie. Yeah, that's true. That's it's very true. Even though there's a lot of gore and violence. At least I don't think you do. But there's there's I two prominent scenes. Any. Yeah. And it almost makes you wonder um, if these are even human beings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, the, um, the first scene of like, oh, we're going just like no prisoners here. Like there's a lot of people are going to die. You know, it kind of takes a slasher element. Kind of, that was one of those like home run moments where I was like, this is rock and roll filmmaking. I'd leave the theater now if there wasn't two more hours of movie, just because I don't think we could ever peak higher than yeah. this. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. I love Teton. That's that's my number five, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Nice. What's, what's your number four? My number four. Sorry, I did a little rework in there. My number four is a film that I saw at the Philadelphia Film Festival. Uh, this one is actually from multiple years ago, but due to censorship from the Chinese government, uh, got moved around and pushed around and just never became a thing. But uh, One Second, it's called. It's the oh, Zhang cool. Jimu movie. The guy did House of Flying yeah. Tigers. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the first things I saw at the film festival this year. It's an absolutely gorgeous movie to look at, but it's ultimately a movie about exhibiting movies. And so at the film festival this year is right around the time we were starting to get the, hey, everybody around here is vaccinated. It's cool. We're getting out to movies again. It's kind of cool. So it was like a warm moment. Little did we know what the future held, uh, but it was a warm moment and a warm moment gathered around this movie that was all about film really it's just one of those those experiences I wouldn't trade away. But That's what the awesome. movie is, it takes place during the Cultural Revolution in China, and it is it follows three main characters. It's a a child thief who uh, is being pursued by a drifter who got like kicked out of his post because the child thief stole a reel of film from a third character who rides on a bike taking the newsreel and whatever movie he has that week from village to village or outpost to outpost. And so everybody is now searching for this film and chasing this film and everybody has a reason to want this reel of film. And it's kind of light and cute and fun, but it's intense in that this film is being tossed around. Meanwhile, one of the other reels has spilled. And so the entire village is building a rig to clean off the film from the sand and water, but doing so as a communal effort to preserve the film itself to make it proper to exhibit. And so it's all of this going on at once, but it's a big group effort. And the whole idea is everybody has different reasons, but it's all a concerted effort to make sure that that newsreel plays tonight. And uh, it, it's just, 
fun. It has a really like cheeky sense of humor, really strong characters. Um, and it, it's just gorgeous. Every shot is, every shot's a painting. That's great. Yeah, I, loved I, the I loved it. Philadelphia Film Festival for that reason, because, you know, you always come away with something really being blown away by something you would have never seen otherwise i almost didn't see it this was just like a gap filler i was like yeah i'm not movied out yet this seems okay i like this filmmaker and then you end up getting blown away by it and it's just yeah it's a delight it, and it was one of those where it was supposed to play oh fuck i forget which film festival it was either way, it was supposed to play and then suddenly it just got pulled and they cited like, oh, technical difficulties, but it's like secretly one of those things that because there is some sort of criticism of Chinese government within the sure. context of a cultural revolution story that the powers that be were just like, no mas. So, yeah. you know, I feel pretty privileged to have seen it. And I imagine it's probably will be accessible if not already here in America for sure. But uh, Great. yeah. Well, that's awesome because I, I did not uh, even know, you know, like, I did there sorry there's a funny little joke that me and Ann have there used to be this infomercial we grew up in Montgomery County Maryland and it was like a real estate agent interviewing people who are bummed out that they didn't know about these homes that were for sale and because like they had the wrong real estate agent and the tagline at the end is I didn't even know those homes were there <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> it's like very depressing it's like very sad you know like when they say it so, uh, so in terms of one second, a movie that I wasn't really aware of, I'll say I didn't even know those homes were there. There you go. Um, so my number four. Let's see if you can guess what it is. Just I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a hint. Okay, ready? Okay, so your number four is Memoria. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Ah, right on. Yep. <laughs> it's Memoria by. Um, I should have probably really uh, looked this up, but I think it's Achi Pong. Where is Sethakul? Where yes. I Peter learned Pong, it. Where is Yeah. I think High director. Correct. He tells people to call him Joe. Um, but, uh, you know, but that's just a great name. And Memoria is a great, great movie. Uh, the first movie I saw at the Philadelphia Film Festival this year. That's very a hard great to see. festival starter. Oh, it was, it was an amazing festival starter. Um, and I had never seen one of his movies before, but I knew that they were very much like slow cinema. Um, have you gone back and seen any since i haven't but i definitely will in the new year um, i only saw uncle boon me but i could definitely recommend it, it, it oh yeah if you I'm like sure memoria you'll like it and yeah memoria rocks i did yeah and uh i just love that this is just one of the most like physical movie watching experiences i had all year where it slows your breath down it sort of entrains you to the rhythms of it and it, it's like a movie that kind of asks you to slow down and meet it not even really meet it halfway it asks you to like come to it and then once you're in its spell it's just like you're hooked and it's just like a whole slow drip of just a cinematic bliss and it just kind of just makes you like it's a weird movie to describe because it's basically just you know the movie where Tilda Swinton hears a really loud noise and she has to figure out what it is <laughs> and when it comes the the final reveal is just bonkers it's something in, in, yeah. in a really funny way um and you're like okay fine yeah <laughs> i'll take it you know but, the, uh, that's yeah. definitely one of those moments though where like 
where I just want to stand up and cheer and be like, thank you for, for not copping out. Thank yeah. you for, for fulfilling the creative impulse that led you here. Cause it's, it's wholly unique. And, and exactly. like, there's nothing I can say about it that, that could prepare you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I like, love I, I this think, movie. Oh, it's, yeah. it's not the vibe of movie that typically sits with me for an end of year list, but me like, neither, which is why I, I did really, give like, it an almost it. perfect score though. Like it's, yeah. That's a movie that I when because you came out of it and I had planned to see it because of the the weird release where it's I believe only playing yeah. like one it's one basically theater at like, a time ever. Yeah, I don't even know like when it's or if it's going to play Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, it's like a mystery basically. So naturally, I didn't want to miss it at the film festival. And even though I it's a movie I always wanted to see because I I liked Uncle Boonmi, I remember sitting down and be like, man, two and a half hours. This could be a long one, and I don't think I felt the. I mean. I won't say no, I, don't... I didn't feel the length at all. I was I surprised say, when it was over. I felt the length, but I enjoyed all of the length. Like, like I think part of like the like the length being present is like part of it. It's supposed to be a long movie because I think what you're saying is right. Like, it almost forces you to meditate, and yeah. you know, mindfulness is so rare that you have to like really force it. And yeah, exactly. even as someone who occasionally meditates, it's hard to just switch it on. And so to have an outside party kind of put you into that is mm-hmm. seems impossible and it feels effortless here. Uh, I, I never, like I felt the length, but only in so far as like you go, man, it's great that I've been in a pool all day. It's just like, you know, like, oh, it's great I've been here, you know? But it's just such an odd concept and the it's just such a cerebral way into that feeling, which yeah. is what I loved. It, it basically just gets you, like you leave the movie theater and everything just feels a little bit different, you know? And that's one of the best things I can ask for from a movie. Hell yeah. I'm into yeah, that. So Memoria is my number four. Nice. What's your number, number three? Oh, sorry. My, my fingers are on. My number three is No Time to Die. Okay. All right. So Kudos. since last summer, I started watching all of the Bond movies. Like once No Time to Die had got pushed back, I was like, let's watch all the Bond movies. I, I had seen most it was like universe giving you an opportunity to like yeah this is your one shot to just to really do catch it. up on all of them before this one comes and out. I feel like I had seen most of them in some way shape or form on TV and you know by sheer force of like ever since golden I have been seeing them in the theater because I've been you know old enough and so uh no time to die was one that I was very excited about I do love bond movies and I watched all of them and one of the things that that arose during this rewatch is that a lot of bond movies really suck Uh, a lot of the old ones are just dated as all hell uh and not in like fun ways where you're like oh he just slapped that lady from being crazy that's that's not appropriate but it's like fun because it's dated not even in that way dated where there's like there there's animals doing double takes there's cars that do fast motion for a couple bond movies there's this weird like southern sheriff who shows up and like essentially gets you know pie in the face to all the time so re-watching all the bond movies i was like some of these are fucking garbage but a lot of the ones that that are largely considered bad i really enjoyed and it came to this idea of like wow like bond can be anything Whereas I I am in agreement of the idea that I think there is something inherently male about the character of James Bond. And I agree with Daniel Craig that it's like, nah, you know, give me a new female character. At the same time, like, if you make it good, I don't care. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. 
but at the end of it, it's like we all talk about what you know, what bond can be, what nationality can it be, this kind of thing, all that stuff. And watching all of the bonds together, it becomes clear that there's really not one fixed set of traits that defines bond. There's really only a couple small ones, but there's a breadth of other takes that are of, of other traits that are in contradiction with one another between two different actors who played Bond, even within the same Bond uh, actor playing Bond twice. There's different things about the character. So it's fascinating to look back at Bond as as this this uh, what's the word? As a monolith. When really he's not. Uh, it's beyond, you know, 007, gun, likes to bang the ladies, always gets the job done. Uh, and his drink of choice. You know, the, beyond those five, there's really not much else. Yeah. So there's like be, five requirements. To it, be fun. Yeah, it's a pretty brief full checklist. And so what's cool is that it's a character that that is static but is always changing. But the one thing that has never, ever happened with Bond before is that he has never had a multi-story arc or multi-film yeah. arc that worked on him as a character. Because even if you watch like like the the Brosnan, Brosnan era of Bond, there's connective tissue, but only in plot material, just plot material. Um, Dalton only got two Bonds, which honestly highly recommend both. They rock. Uh, he's a, you know, he's like a more romantic Bond, uh, but there's connective material there, but there's no arc that we see from him. Daniel Craig's Bond had an arc. And it's an arc that a lot of people came to Bond over and a lot of Bond fans, uh, you know, grew with. And I would say that he is easily my favorite Bond. Um, he made the best Bond movie, which was Casino Royale. And I would submit that he also made the second best, which is No Time to Die. And it's when his arc comes to completion in a way that not only has never been done before, but has heretofore been thought impossible and they do it in a way that is respectful to the character thematically rich and exciting as all hell and for a movie that that had a lot of problems in production had a lot to deliver on in terms of what we've been building up to with craig um and in terms of like the the spotty quality of craig's overall there's you know some inconsistencies there and then the added, just this kept getting delayed because of COVID, because of COVID. It had to fucking deliver in order to function at all. And it blew my expectations out of the water. Uh, it delivered. There's some weaknesses like, uh, you know, Rami Malek, I think, does a really good job, but his character is kind of a non-entity, you know, in terms of the larger plot. But it's very true to a lot of the other Bonds. That's something that's softened by the fact that that. I watched them all back to back. Also, I really grew to love Quantum of Solace, which I used to think was terrible. Um, the action still looks like shit in that movie, but it's a, it's a good movie. But No Time to Die, yeah, I just, I was so, yeah. so moved by the characters oh. in this movie. And it's like, I didn't expect to be moved by the romance between him and, uh, uh, what's her it's name? Leia Sedu. Leia Sedu. Uh, Matilda. Her name is Doctor Madeline Swan. Oh, Madeline. Matilda is another character that I don't want to spoil. But uh, Madeline, yeah, Madeline Swan. She's kind of seen like Inspector. She was their their romance was like okay, you know, Vesper's dead. You're forcing a new romance on me, whatever. And I never thought it to coalesce into something so effective, and it really did. 
I was completely on board through all of this Bond movie. And I would say more so than any movie that came out this fall, I have thought about No Time to Die. I think about it all the time. I loved it. It just home run filmmaking through and through. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's really interesting. We were talking earlier in the year too about how like, whatchamacallit, like basically like James Bond, even though, you know, it's one of the forerunner of action series, um, at the, it also would basically just reflect and borrow from whatever the popular movie making trend was at the time. You know, mm-hmm. the Spy Who Loved Me came out. Uh, there's sharks because of Jaws. You know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. Moonraker came um, out right after Star Wars. Exactly. Uh, and, the bad know, guy in one of the Dalton ones was essentially Scarface. Yeah. Right. Right. And like you know, Golden Golden Eye comes out in the sort of like around the time that the Hong Kong gun fu fate, you know, like yep. craze is kind of reaching. Um, yeah, and this one postborn. Well, yeah, well, Casino Royale, too, is you could say it's like that gritty reboot is kind of like the Christopher Nolan thing, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's like Dark Knight, yeah. Batman Begins. Um, but then, you know, this one does that, too. But to me, this was like, oh, this is just James Bond's Avengers Endgame, you know, where, where basically yeah. he's he's Iron Man, you know, and, yeah. and you know, it wraps up these arcs. Um, it wraps in, like, an emotionally satisfying way. You know, I know some people don't think that it's like good for the character to have like that type of arc over several films but you know i they gotta do something new right and well and, and you know what it works next time here. next time maybe it won't be because at the end of the day bond can be all of those things you know he can yeah. be george lazenby who did one film as bond and it's probably my third favorite bond movie and it's a completely alternate take on the character and it totally works yeah 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 um, it's, that's uh, great man yeah, it was, you know, what was weird is, you know, who held up as like my least favorite Bond, I think? Who? Roger Moore. No, Roger Moore actually really went up in estimation for me. I was always a Connery purist, but like the Connery ones, like, eh, they're not great. And to tell you the truth, the, uh, they're so I, slow. They're like long they're and slow. slow. My yeah. favorite Connery one was probably Never Say Never Again, the non-Eon production. Yeah, where he yeah, came back, one. largely considered terrible, probably one of my favorites. Although I do like Thunderball and it is a remake of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, like him and uh, Pierce Brosnan like didn't do it for me. And I like the a couple of the Pierce Brosnan bonds because uh, they're a lot of fun but like his bond just always just seems irritated yeah. to be there so i, I yeah yeah his, his bond is never having very much fun um but ice cold bond that's total valid totally yeah, valid he, way to he do basically it. did golden eye and and that was about it um, yeah and it rocked yeah golden eye was great the next few whatever he uh he rebooted martin campbell rebooted the series twice because he did golden eye and he did two of the best yeah. yep it would actually be pretty cool if he was back for the next one I mean, why the hell not? Yeah, he's got a good track record. I'm going to throw his hat in the ring again. I think that Henry Golding would make a great bot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's British. He looks smoke show in a suit. Henry Golding, please. Henry Golding, I would do that. Yeah, I think he'd be good. And you know what? If they go with the other Henry, Henry Cavill, I'm into that too. Although I will say that I have one issue with Henry Cavill being bot. I think he's too big. Yeah. He's too big. I think so too. I mean, James Bond has to be able to be you have to throw James Bond across the room at like yeah. you have, odd job or whatever, you know, like 
a, a big guy like Dave Batista has to be able to pick Bond up and throw him, or like Jaws has to pick him up, yeah, and well, throw him across the room. Um, Batista and you can't does do that with Henry Cavill. Room. No, yeah, not happening. Exactly. He'll cock his fists and then yeah, get tagged. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I just No Time to Die was a movie that I expected to like, not love, and then it was a movie that I was more emotionally affected by than so many things this year. So it had to make the list. I just yeah. And I will say this as a, that was another like we're starting to get back to the movie theaters kind of movie. And there's yeah, a scene exactly. at the beginning where he zips up a ramp on a motorcycle and it's like a really quick stunt and it's really big and it's shot well. And the entire theater did a collective like, whoa, <laughs> and that was very cool. After Nicole Kidman says heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Dan Ender, heartbreak feels good. Heartbreak almost feels good. Um, that that, that, that's my number one movie of the year. <laughs> <laughs> the I like AMC. that that commercial. I could just roll my eyes at, if not for the fact that it's always like showed up right at the moment where I was like, "Wow, the projection at this AMC theater is uniquely terrible today." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, what are you gonna do? It's it's just it's it's a ballsy move. It's just very funny because it is funny. Uh, you know. But I I. There was one nice. I like that they're acknowledging. Hey, come on back to the movies. Yeah, yeah. And we're well, gonna the, get the sentiments flawless. It was so funny. I know. love boldface hucksterism. I I am enamored by that. I like that smell of vision. Come on out. I don't give a shit. That stuff's great. Yeah. And this reeks of that. But at the same time, I'm always just like, all right. If you're gonna tell me that movies don't look better than they do here, you should probably make the movies like look good. But I yeah. get the sense that that most theaters now are kind of plug and play, which yeah, you know, is I mean, Nicole Kidman probably sees, you know, she probably watches most movies at home, and then sees them at like the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, she's, yeah. <laughs> she's probably not going to the AMC in you know Brisbane or wherever uh, to do. That. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I like but the idea number... that like I like oh, the idea that that that's not a reserved theater for her. It's she showed up to see a movie and it's just like some garbage movie that no one wants to see. So yeah, she, she's seeing like, a movie on Tuesday afternoon at like yeah. 3 p.m. And it's like just a movie that is just absolute trash in the middle of February or something. She's like, <laughs> I really thought that there'd be a full crowd for the Impractical Jokers movie. It's so funny, which I'm not going to lie. I love the Impractical Jokers. So I would totally watch that movie. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. My number three is Wild Indian. Um, I have not had which which you should see for sure. Um, It's it's a lot when you see it. In many ways, it's it's a lot like Coming Home in the Dark. Has the same kind of themes, a pretty similar structure where it's just like something horrible happened in the past. How has it affected and impacted? Um, these two different characters as adults. Um, but I just think that it's like, it, it's just such a strong debut. Uh, it's the filmmaker's first movie, Lyle Mitchell Corvine Jr. Um, Michael Gray Eyes is in it. And he is uh, one of my favorite performances of the Love year. Him. He's a fantastic and, actor. Oh, he, he's fantastic. So yeah. he plays the uh, a Native American man named Michael, who's like basically, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder, and his his boss is like Jesse Eisenberg. You know, he's married to Kate Bosworth. Like he has it all. Oh, no um, but before we get to that point, we've already seen his childhood, which was just just really traumatic, abusive, growing up in a home with two very abusive alcoholic parents on the Native American reservation. I believe it's in Minnesota, I think. Um, 
and you know we just oh, yeah. see you just see basically the life getting sucked out of this boy as he basically turns into you know basically turns into something uh that he's not or like his his adaptation basically as a child is to basically become a sociopath more or less and he does something really unspeakable uh with a friend of his and then we see them as adults and it's just fascinating to see how they've adapted in such tremendously different ways um with the trauma basically okay. uh, it's just it's a powerful film it's about yeah it's 90 minutes so it's in and out um it's you know there's a lot of things that are about trauma, you know but this one is I would say like it almost reminded me like the elevator pitch could be it's blue ruin meets smoke signals okay because it's like about native american identity about genocide and legacy of genocide but also just the you know adults uh getting into really dangerous violent situations uh that they may not be prepared for basically that i want to see it you pointed it out to me a while back and I meant to watch it. I just have not made time for it. It's a bummer. It, it's very haunting. Um, you know, when it was over, it was just like, geez, that, that was sad. <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, it, it serves a point and you're not going to see too many other movies that are quite like this um, because of you know, the subject matter. And nice. Michael Burry eyes, once again, is just incredible. He's so good. I love that guy. So that's my I, number uh, three. Definitely seek it out when you can. I would like to, I mean, I imagine it's probably streaming, right? It's on stars if you have that. Okay. Eh, I'll find a way. No, I, I'll just buy it. That's that's yeah. fine by me. GC Oisenbeck. Um, nice. Uh, up to number two. I remember you mentioned that. I did not expect that we'd be talking about it. Very yeah. cool. Or sorry, up to number three. Yeah. So number two for me is a movie that I went in expecting to like, not expecting to like really, really love. And I've kind I of been obsessed is. with it. And it is Nightmare Alley. Oh. Okay, interesting. Yeah, wait, that's what, number two. Yeah, what did you think it was? Oh, I I thought it was going to be my number two. Okay, well, which might, might be your number one. Could, uh, might be, but we'll, um, we'll get there. We'll see. Uh, no, Nightmare Alley is. Uh, I don't know. It's just a great story. I think it's such a great uh, pairing uh, of. Let, I want to hear you do an impression of Nicole Kidman saying Nightmare Alley. <laughs> oh, so, so Dan and I, we're going Dan and I to Melbourne. Nightmare Alley, <laughs> Alley. <laughs> Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley. Dan Anda. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, it's it's a great marriage of material to filmmaker. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is a filmmaker that I've always loved, but he's a filmmaker whose movies like always got me like 90% of the way there and never quite hit. And then Shape of Water just floored me. I like I that is just peak cinema for me. And Nightmare Alley follows suit. I, I love it. I I watched the original movie from the 40s, I think 46 or 47, um, before this one. So I knew where it was going. Um, and I, right now I'm currently reading the book that it's based on uh, because I just want to see how much of what Guillermo del Toro's version of the story compared to the 1940s version of the story. I want to know how much of the added material that's in difference between those two is from the book versus from del toro's brain and I, it, but i love that it's such a rich story with such rich imagery whether you're reading it whether you're watching it in an old black and white movie or you're watching it in a rich highly cinematic del toro movie uh this material is just a fun like world to be in 
I'm fascinated by the, the uh, I'm going to air quote it, the abilities of a mentalist. Uh, that's a really, really interesting subset of the magician, the prestidigitator, you know, and the idea, though, of taking these sleights of hand, passing them off as actual magic, and then using that to dupe people is a tale as at least... It's it's a tale at it's least a very as, American tale. Yeah, I would say it's a tale. Bible goes west in America. It's, it's at least as old as Joel Osteen. We'll say that, and much much <laughs> older. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, I, it's just one of those worlds that's fun to play in, and it's two and a half hours in this beautiful world stacked to the gills with character actors that I love, all just being fucking. There, the characters in this movie are either shitty, jaded, or naive. And those three things are constantly in flux. And so many situations are introduced where shitty meets naive, shitty meets jaded, jaded meets naive, naive you know, and, and how that plays out. And we essentially are just watching an extremely confident, extremely talented, extremely privileged and, and desirable man just descend because of his greed and his daddy issues. And it is some hardcore upsetting stuff. And it has, it's the type of stuff that shouldn't be as fun as it is in Nightmare Alley. Yeah, I, I think you said earlier, like PCA likes to make, um, you know, like just something about like, likes to make tragedy or like, you know, the rough parts of life. He makes them seem kind of like fun, basically. Yeah. Um, th this definitely makes, it has a lot of fun with, the darkness basically yeah um and also best cast i mean holy best moly cast. but one of the cool things is that like i love it when it, a cast can be so incredible but like the best part of the cast is like the mvp is like you know probably the seventh most famous person at, yeah I love yeah david strathairn in this movie it was so freaking good he's Petey. Yeah, they uh, and and that's the thing. Like these are these are titans of cinema. Kate Blanchett, uh, Bradley Cooper. These are faces, and at no point does any one of them like like tower over the movie. Where you're like, this is their movie. Like it's yeah, it's yeah. such like every scene, everybody's chewing as hard as they can. But it's in it's this perfect alchemy. Man, I loved it. And the ending is that's like one of my favorite endings of it's the year. So Just, good just brutal and haunting and but but funny and tragic all at once just just great i forget who made the joke someone on twitter made a joke that was like that was just like i can't like willem dafoe is i think 66 years old i can't believe it's taken him this long to play a carnival barker named clem hotley because that just feels like it should be inevitable willem dafoe is my Number one actor of the year for nice. stats. I watched 12 Willem Dafoe movies. He's just in everything. He's the man. He's Willem Literally, Dafoe. He just is in everything. It's wild. And everything's better with him in it. Uh, the only other thing I want to say about, uh, about Nightmare Alley, there's this great line. There's a character played by Kate Blanchett, who is a sultry, uh, ambitious psychologist who uh, might not be the most morally up and up. And she's having a tit for tat with Bradley Cooper, who is just a straight up con man. And uh, they're like reading one another and doing saucy language back and forth. And so he does a little something like this. And then she responds in kind of like this. And that's a back and forth. And then he's just like, yeah, you seem classy, but I also think you could probably, uh, you know, hang out in the alleys. And she just goes, yeah, if I want mud on my skirt, I know where to find it. 
It's like, oh, Maron, that's so good. Yeah, that's she's just walking right Bridget. into that. Yeah, she's perfect. Like no one else could do that. She's no one could do it. Just walking right into that, um, that style and just just owning it. And you know, she has a tendency, perhaps I think, to kind of overact a little bit. Oh yeah, a lot of people. That's say, why we love her. Yeah, she gives one hundred fifty percent where you know where, like a hundred will do. Yeah. 100 will do but uh, but it definitely works really well here, and she's great. She's so good. I love I love her so much, and she's a lot of the reason why this movie made it up the side. But no, it's just that the design is great. One of the reasons you go to a carnival or go to a circus is because you might see something a little unseemly amongst the fun. That's part of it. The whole idea of a freak show is that you're being a little bad by being there. You know, you're you're seeing something that maybe the human eye shouldn't see, but we're gonna let you in on this little secret. And so yeah. that that aesthetic to be applied sort of with like a horror lens over this mystery really, really works. And so it has that like temple of doom energy where you're like, oh, this is a con man story, but it's like, like, oh, this is an adventure, but also it's like, we might see someone's heart get ripped out, you know? And so this is, oh yeah, yeah, this is a con man story, but there's some really dark shit happening at this carnival, but it's all part of the appeal where it's like, oh no, come in, I'll show you the little secret, but I'll pick your pocket while you're looking, you know, like it's, yeah exactly it captures that energy in on a macro level and a micro level and i just loved it and there's kind of a cool way where you know in terms of you being a customer or viewer at this carnival like you might get duped you don't really know what you're going to find he walks in first as a as a customer and you know while he's certain and it's just interesting to think about how he also gets duped by the carnival yeah um in terms of like where how he starts the film and where he ends up it's mm-hmm. like he, he's he's been played just like everybody but he yep. thought that he was the one running the show you know he thought um, he was yeah he was the 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 captain but nope the game played him but but then but then you know you could say maybe there's a happy ending because it's the role i was born to play <laughs> yeah that's true that's true uh, a darkly happy ending yeah, yeah, but I mean, but also too, like maybe the world is just safer with him doing that. Maybe that's what he was meant to do. Maybe he's yeah. maybe he's found his purpose. Yeah, he consumed too much. So my number two, the power of the dog. Guys, this did not make my list, even oh, though I think oh, I that it, it is. Okay. No, it did not. It's a fucking remarkable movie, but yeah. you know, it, there just wasn't room. Fair it's enough, in my so. honorable mentions. I was really surprised by this. Um, Jean Campion's like one of those directors where I don't always think that I like her, but every time I see something she does, I'm pretty, I'm pretty blown away by it. So I love the piano. I love Top of the Lake. I've and, only seen Top of the Lake. I haven't seen the piano. Oh, the piano is just magnificent. I, so, I'm you know, definitely likes, intensive. She likes to make movies about you know about the highs and lows of desire, the lightness and darkness. Uh, love and danger and sort of the middle ground where they were kind of meets in the middle and how that sense of desire is very transformative and there's a part of this movie that is actually like you know you think that there's sort of a part of this movie that is very romantic um and then once again though where it goes sort of like desire can be liberating and it can also be your ticket to hell basically and i think that but there's a tragedy underneath it with benedict cumberbatch just playing like the angriest man i've seen on screen all year um and that says a lot for you know a lot of angry men in movies but um 
also giving one of my favorite performances of the year by far best he's ever done. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. The days after I just felt this weird combination of like sort of simmering romance in my mind, but also just sort of like dark, like sinister shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I don't really know what else to say about the movie, um, but it just really it stuck with me quite a bit. It was just absolutely incredible. Nice. I, um, yeah, I, I liked this movie a lot. I, and it was definitely one of those movies where I kept thinking I knew what it was about or where it was going and then just being proven wrong. But yeah, um, exactly. I was, I, it was a wild ride and I did not know where it was going. I got yeah, shot once again. It was a wild ride without being like bombastic about anything. It goes down pretty easy. It's pretty stark. Yeah. Um, trying to think, what is the, ah, uh, what's the word that he always pronounces wrong? Oh, I don't know. I think I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking he about? just pronounces it weirdly. Yeah, He pronounces it weirdly and he refuses to say it any other way. I forget what word it was, but it, it resonated with me that he did this as a thing because as we all know, his uh, his character is, is struggling with his, his character likes Bronco Henry a lot. Yeah, he's struggling with his own internalized versus externalized vision of what a man can and should be. And oh, what was the, there's a certain word that he always says wrong. And, um, but the way that I, that I related to it is like, my dad is very similar in terms of he refuses to do emotions. It's not a thing. If anything has even the lightest amount of flair, it's like stamped as gay and he won't do it. Like that's, that's the thing. And so I always laugh because it is impossible for my dad to say Chipotle, which is one of his favorite restaurants. And I am convinced. <laughs> he says Chipotle. He, no, he says Chipotle. Chipotle. And I am, I am convinced it's because the T-L-E sound, the tle part, is just way too gay for my dad. By whatever so like, metric. It's too effeminate, yeah. It's exactly. whatever metric. Defense is manhood. And so he says Chipotle. And so which is funny t- to think that other cultures equals you know somehow queer or yeah. effeminate or yeah exactly it's like this is anything's the box. different no sorry that's way too threatening to me it's this ball it's this box that's just getting smaller and smaller with each passing year and chipotle is way on the outside and so there's a, oh, i forget what the word is but it was another word that has that sort of a, a yeah he, he just refuses to learn like like i forget what the word is too but it's just like he's refusing to learn the you know the way that certain words are pronounced because he thinks it's like too fancy for his taste or too he's a real man it doesn't matter but the funny thing is that he's of course covering up his incredible intellect and the fact that he's not he's not just a big lug he's performing as a big lug he's actually a very smart very sensitive person on the inside uh but at the same time the movie makes you feel bad for him but also recognizes like takes a very clear moral stand on uh what this person's role should be in the world yeah basically. let's put it that way well, and he he imagines where this person belongs yeah the cowboy is like the toughest guy wait i actually found a text message where i was discussing it and so i think i have the, i found it anytime that he referred to the piano he called it a, a panano banana <laughs> 
And every time Cumberbatch was just like, oh, she's playing her piano. I was like, he can't say piano the same way that my dad can't say Chipotle because it defies his conflicting image of what manhood is. Right. And he wants you to pay attention to it too, right? He wants you to notice that he's doing it wrong. Chipotle. Nuts. And it's also very funny. Like it, as the movie progresses, it becomes almost like it, it kind of achieves almost like 90s Jim Carrey movie levels of like sexual like metaphor gags yeah, you know what I yeah. mean like he's just carrying a huge gigantic like you know pointy uh you know fence post over his shoulder and then just like or, jamming it into the ground repeatedly oh yeah he's like jacking it up and down <laughs> yeah yeah or that moment where the scene opens with him just violently and explicitly cutting a bull's balls off yeah I mean I had to close my eyes during that part <laughs> I closed my eyes but at that moment, like the thematic thing, like that could almost be called on the nose, if not for the fact that Campion's just a fucking genius. Because yeah. when he was like cutting the balls off, I was just like, what a picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's just <laughs> it's it. great. It's Very, just yeah. absolutely, it's a phenomenal movie. I'm, yeah, I'm, I was. Amazed. And that, uh, that Greenwood score is aces. I liked that. It was, it was very unsettling with, by design. It's not the kind of score that, I felt like I could listen to later for pleasure, mm-hmm. but while it's happening, it's, it's really meeting its goals. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. All right, here we are. What's your number one? Number one, I'm surprised you, you thought it was Power of the Dog because this is a movie that I have been saying was the best movie I saw all year since oh, the day yes. that I saw it, because it what happened, is. it still is. I've, it's, I've never waited so hard for a 4k to show up in my Amazon delivery box it's been a long time since I watched a movie and then the next day immediately watched it again and then kind of put it on while I was doing stuff later that day. Cause this was sent to me as a screener and I watched it one night and then the next day I was eating breakfast. I was like, this screener is about to expire. I should watch it again. So I did. And then as I was doing my chores, I was like, I'm gonna let it play a third time until my screener runs out. I'm of course referring to the absolutely excellent Bob Odenkirk action vehicle, Nobody. This is my favorite movie of the year. And for simple reason, as it's been so long since a movie has felt so lean and mean in terms of delivering to me directly what I love about movies. Pure entertainment, 90 minutes in and out. Excellently shot action. Very thoughtful characters. Um, The idea of this middle-aged man, like, my buddy Ken put it best. He said, John Wick, when he has to do uh, his action stuff, it's, God damn it, I have to do this again. But for Hutch, Hutch Mansell, it's, holy shit, I get to do this again. I cannot wait to do this again. I cannot this is wait what to I'm do- good at. And I think that the movie actually lands in a pretty complicated place as to the ethics of such a thing. But it's also not trying to comment too hard. It's really just trying to tap into this idea of an an older man starting to feel less useful, but knowing that he actually has a lot to offer. He just no longer exists in the world where his skills apply. And he inadvertently brings that world to himself. And it's a fucking party. It's got, I mean, it's got like, like Rambo Home Alone style traps. It has probably the coolest soft pitch for a spinoff movie in introducing Riza as the most awesome action hero who ever existed. We got a hilarious late in life uh, 
tapping into the skills that Christopher Lloyd has in some of the best of ever. Like that shot where he's asleep and a guy's about to kill him and he pops awake and blows him away with a shotgun. Yeah. That, that's like vintage Christopher Lloyd. And he's got to be in his 80s. It just brought all of that together. Classic dad rock soundtrack, which fits in. Uh, one of the most disgustingly, gleefully evil villains ever. He's just villainous. It doesn't matter. He's got to go. And we don't have to think about it beyond that. He just loves being bad. Therefore, we want to see him violently dispatched, and we do. There's a car chase. There's there's a kitty cat. And there's Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> there's a kitty cat. There's a kitty cat. There's Bob Odenkirk. In, literally months before we almost lost the guy yeah. to a heart attack. Bob Odenkirk, who has I've been a fan of since I was 12, 13 years old when I discovered Mr. Show. I've met Bob Odenkirk. I went to see Mr. Show. And uh, he's just one of those dudes that has always been around. He's always been one of the most talented actors and comedians out there. And only recently have people been embracing him uh, through Better Call Saul. You know, it was like it was like when Donnie Yen blew up in America. I was like, man, we yeah. could have had him. He's always been ago. there. He's <laughs> but, always uh, been around. And, you know, sometimes it takes 20 years now to become an overnight success. Right? And then as soon as he shows up, he was like, yeah, by the way, even though I'm in my mid 50s, I'm also going to deliver a complete banger of an action movie. And it's believable action. It's shot in a way that is conducive to a well-trained but softened 52 year old man, we'll say. Uh, like, it's just a it's a movie that really could have phoned in any one of its elements and a lot of movies would have phoned in many elements and this phoned in none of them and yeah. it's purely entertaining like i said it in my review nobody is like when i go to the movies this is why i go to the movies because this right. is the experience i want and it gave me that experience oh, tenfold yeah. yeah like when i saw this was one of the earlier movies i saw in theaters like coming back to theaters you know Mm. Um, I saw it like at the, you know, at the mall at, you know, two o'clock on a Sunday, but it was like in April. So there was really, and I was, I had been vaxxed for a while already. So I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is safe, you know? And yeah. it was just me and like one or two other people. And I just had such a blast. I just was hooting and hollering the whole time. I was like, I'm sure I'm really annoying right now, but I'm just too happy to care. Basically. Oh yeah. Uh, That's what this movie. movie's about though. Yeah. It's, it's about pure fun pure adrenaline pure cinematic bliss bob odenkirk is so good in it um he's you know he's really committed he he got ripped and he can kick ass and he can make it look convincing and he's still funny and he's relatable he's just it's just so good i loved it you got connie nielsen playing his wife which is a very important role in this there's a great shot of it's uh him doing like chin-ups on the uh on the bus stop in the morning but his wife's real estate ad is on the bus stop so he's just like feeling inferior to her career in doing this so it's like yeah. thoughtful like that it's very funny also there's a part where i'm gonna use these scissors where the rizza has a gun and this is like the butt stop to the gun and he shoots a guy in the face and he uses the kick of the gun to let the gun punch the guy behind him in the face <laughs> When I tell you I wanted to do 10 flips and 100 push-ups when I saw that, oh, baby, I wanted to do 10 flips and 100 push-ups when I saw that. So, yeah, my favorite movie of the year, hands down, no question, was Nobody. There we go. 
Well, my number one, I'll, I'll make it kind of quick. Just because directed by Ilya Naishula. Oh, yeah, Naishula. Uh, I'll make this quick because I'm kind of fading a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's I've, been, I've been sick today. Uh, not the worst day to get, not the worst day, but not a fun day to be sick on New Year's Eve day. So, but Fair you know, enough. I'm feeling much better now, and this is giving me life. So that's great. Um, number one is the worst person in the world. I knew it by uh, Joachim Trier, which I might be mispronouncing. Um, yeah, I love this director. is Norwegian. Um, I saw it also at the Philadelphia Film Festival, and it just kind of, you know. It was just like at the end, you were like, wow, speechless. Um, it's just like a classic movie about this character, Julia, turning 30. And uh, it's, it's played by uh, Renate Reinsieve, which I'm sure I just butchered. Um, so she's like a 30, about to turn 30, confused about what she wants out of life, who she is, what her job is, who, she, who her boyfriend should be. Um, but she's living with an uh, older boyfriend, Axel, who's played by Andrews Danielson Lai. And you know, it basically, it's just a movie about life, basically. It just kind of mm. charts like a year in the course of her life where she kind of juggles jobs and careers and lovers. And, you know, she does her best to figure out what she wants. Um, and it doesn't stop life from just completely kicking her in the ass and just completely shattering everything. And, and yet even so, like, that doesn't matter. Like, she doesn't come out of the movie at the end having learned some great lesson. Like, she still has to kind of, sit with this ambivalence and, and that's what i think is like the film's master stroke it's like all of these things can happen to you in your life and but that's just the world basically and it's mm. not waiting for you to to figure it out and if you're waiting around to reach the age where suddenly everything makes sense in order to start living your life like you're just wasting time you know and it's just like life is already happening basically so yeah. it's one of those movies that just really gets you to think about embracing the messiness of life and the imperfections, but also finding the like beauty in the little moments. Um, mm. And, and, you know, I think it's also a movie about like aging without children, you know, like, um, and what that, the pressures of parenthood, you know, the, the looming uh, possible pressures of parenthood, you know, and it just really speaks to that in such a, in a way that isn't reductive, which I think most movies kind of go for. Mm -hmm. um, it's just it's just an absolutely gorgeous film. Has my favorite scene of the year where she uh, runs, like, you know, basically, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, becomes a magician and stops time and is able to kind of run to see what, what another life could be like. I'm um, just all incredibly relatable stuff. And uh, I love this, this director is just one of my favorites. Um, he, he also made Oslo August 31st. Um, which I think this might even be better than, even though that seems like a tall order. Um, I still so, gotta yeah. watch that. I love oh, yeah. uh, love Thelma. Thelma rocks. Yeah. So this was, uh, yeah, my number one movie of the year. Uh, I I listened to uh, Waters of March by Art Gun Garfunkel all the time now, and I'm just immediately taken back to that feeling I had at the end of the movie, where it's like, even after all that, we still don't have any answers, basically. Yeah like you're still sort of and you know but it's like there's something really cathartic about the way that this movie kind of speaks to that though it's like yeah we don't have any answers and we have to go on and that's okay basically yeah because like, what else is there yeah what else is there what else are you gonna do you can't you can't stop time and run to go see what something else might be like even though uh that would be nice but would it be you know so it's one of those movies i mean it worked out well for questions. zach morris 
<laughs> that guy does look like Zach Morris. He, no, Norwegian no. Zach Morris. I was saying because Zach Morris used to say timeout and then oh, everything would yes. pause and he could alter the world and like make Mr. Building punch Slater or something. Yeah. Um, but it always worked out for him. Now, I, I liked this movie quite a lot too. I think it's kind of cool. Like, and maybe I can only see this now because I'm in my late 30s, but like, yeah. Every coming of age story I've ever seen is about adolescence or teen into adult. Yeah. The, I feel like I did my most profound growth from my late 20s into my early 30s, if I really think yeah. about it. I mean, you're not capable of doing yeah. as pro, you know, that's just one of those things that snowballs with time. But to see the coming of age idea applied to the late 20s as opposed to childhood yeah. is something that feels kind of new and. Uh, I think allowed me to relate to this harder than if I were to watch, you know, yeah. a, a movie about teenagers. Oh yeah. And, and it was just so cool to see a movie that helped me really like, you know, just resolve the, the confusion and gray areas of being in your thirties and just certainly I have all these choices to make. How do I know if I'm going to make the right one, you know, mm. and, and, and yet, knowing that you know you can't pause time and slow it all down and wait for you know you can't see how it would play out in an alternate dimension um and and two like there's just some moments in this film that just totally just like ripped me apart in the best way like there's a whole scene where andrews danielson lie just talks for a while about how when he was younger he used to go to comic book shops and record stores and basically he lives in a world he grew up in a world that doesn't exist anymore and i think like even being 35, I totally feel that way. And, yeah. and just, it just was so profound. Um, there, and that's also like, like, yeah, that's a universal truth. It is. You know, time stops, time stops for nobody. And I imagine, you know, once again, fast forward, we're 50. We go, wow, this world is, is quite different from, from what it was when I was in my 30s. Yeah. It's like the world is like you, you cannot stop the world at any two different moments and expect it to be the same yeah you know and, and this is kind of like the movie only occurs over the course of 12 months but it seems like you know it just seems like so much has happened and it's just mm. sort of like how did all you know like that feeling we have where we look back at you know what happened in january february of 2021 how did you know how was that earlier this year you know yeah. it, it kind of captures that sort of feeling um I just, I just loved it. I'm, I'm obsessed with this movie. It's nice. so freaking. Yeah. It's a great movie. I, I, I feel you, man. It's a great movie. It's one that could have been a list entry had I had a chance to see it again because I sort of saw that in the, in the thick of the film festival, which is its own sort of of crazy cloud. Yeah. But uh, exactly. You know. Yeah. But sure. Right on. Right on. Well, that's it. it that's that's our top movies. Yeah. That's 2021. I mean, I'll shout out a couple movies that. Yeah. I, yeah. That I liked. I What's your 15 through 20? Um, I don't have them in order, but the, the other ones that were like potential list members were uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, Red, Red Rocket, uh, Justice League, the full cut. Oh, yeah. Uh, dude, I I mean, I'm always... I know the, you're a Zack Snyder guy. Go for it, man. That's one of those movies that like divorced from whatever circumstances led to its existence it's the kind of like, oh, this is big and very fucking weird, which is what's missing from every superhero movie is weirdness. It's very weird. And I respect yeah. that. And whereas I lament that we don't see the universe that he was going to build, 
I also think it's probably so weird that it wouldn't have sustained anyway. So I'd actually yeah. rather it just be imagine something that I imagined for now. But as an artifact, that's the thing. Um, Honeydew, killer horror movie. Um, Suicide Squad, just for sheer fun. Uh, Malignant, The Novice, The Sadness, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, The French Dispatch, VHS 94, uh, the scary of 61st and I was actually very surprised I finally caught up with Antlers and that movie fucking rocks better than so, Agnes I guess which I guess. did not much care for Agnes <laughs> but hey you know That's what alright uh, it, it for uh, everybody I am glad that I made the choice to see Agnes because uh, it was a good night yeah you, I don't think you're gonna really have many chances to see that anyway Yeah. so uh, for, for me I uh, I watched this movie with my family at the beach. Uh, Mitchell's versus the machines. I love oh, yeah, it. That's great. Yeah. It was so good. Like I just love being pleasantly surprised by a movie. I really wasn't expecting much from, but it's, yeah. it's just a great animated movie on Netflix about uh, a family dealing with the impending, you know, technological apocalypse. I feel like it's a great gateway movie for kids to like, you know, classics, classic eighties, nineties, sci-fi action movies um loved it um dune i loved um, oh yeah remember when we saw dune oh yeah and that was, IMAX, so that was I, I feel like i wouldn't have put it on this list if not for that second time um, one of I the demented the IMAX experience was incredible it was so good uh you know like before the movie starts how there's that like <laughs> like before the title card yes, yes when that first happened in uh in like the first time we saw it at the press screener it scared me and so when we sat down for the IMAX one, I was like mentally prepared, like it's coming. Don't let it scare you. Scared the fuck out of me. Still scared, yeah. Yeah, it, it's such a good sound cue. I also loved Malignant like you. Um, that was just one of the it's most party. fun movies. Uh, the last 30 minutes is incredible. Um, Quo Vadis Aida, which was, you yeah. know, it's one of those movies that got nominated for an Oscar already earlier this year in this bizarre timeline. Um, but that's just a really... It's it's not a happy movie. It's a it's from Eastern Europe. It's a Bosnian film, I think. Um, it's about you know the it's about the genocide in the nineties, um, in the Balkans, and it's just one of those movies that, you know, like at the end of the day, you get these big movies about. I guess I've talked a lot a lot about genocide on this list, by the way, which I was not planning to, but it just kind of happens that way. Hey, uh, I think a lot of got to talk are, about it. Well, a lot of these movies are dealing with these like themes of historical trauma and, yeah. and things like that. So, but this movie surprisingly, I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind yeah. of like where the cultural conversation is. Yeah, it's like it's about time we talk about these things. Yeah, yeah. And this movie, you know, a lot of times you get movies where it's like Hotel Rwanda, Schindler's List, where you know they're they're these big Hollywood movies, right? But this movie just shows the pl plain bureaucracy, just the banality of evil. Just, just it's like not it never like stops to really like show you know like the evil people in this are just they seem like normal people you know it's not mm. they're not it's not like ray fines and schindler's list where you're like yeah. we got to show what a crazy fucking person this is you know? <laughs> it's just like well yeah. is he any more evil than the fucking than like the you know the person who did payroll down the street right yeah, yeah. um so it's it's that it's kind of uh, like what coming uh coming home in the dark was about yeah exactly was the exactly. idea of just like yeah you didn't do the bad thing but you, you, but you, but you made it happen. You facilitated it. it yeah. Oh, that with that great line of, uh, they they don't share the same house, but they live on the same street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great um, line. Yeah. And uh, and lastly, bad trip. Uh, 
I, I tried it, you know, uh, with Eric Andre. Uh, That's great. a funny movie. I loved it, and Tiffany Haddish is amazing. Um, just you know, I, I, I met feel like a on these girl lists, today. I, I met like, a girl today. And crap. I just want to laugh so, more, you know. So I like. I feel like it's good to put comedies on these lists too. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. You know, like at the end of the day, I'm, I I thought more about you know, I thought more about Bad Trip, uh, you know, than I thought about you know a great movie like the french dispatch but you know yeah. I, I had a better time with bad trip and so i want to like throw that some love you know hell yeah that scene where tiffany haddish is pretending to be the uh escaped convict and <laughs> she's trying to get help from this poor guy who like clearly wants to help her but i was also like i cannot fuck with this situation i felt so bad for that guy yeah it, it's she's also like oh, we're cool that's... we're cool and she's like fist bumping him and he's like fucking go <laughs> There's also like a subtle theme to to the movie where it's sort of basically, you know, it's also a movie where the sort of sub theme or the subtext is like, you know, people in general, like obviously we all like to think about, you know, talk about how awful humanity is. But this is a movie that basically says, you know what, like people are generally pretty good and they mm. they tend to want to help each other out, you know, a lot of the time, you know, like you I hear about I, all the bad stuff, but this is like a movie that just basically shows humans as humans and as humans. a lot of the time you know they're doing their best they're trying to do right and uh you know we should we should believe in humanity a little bit more than we do perhaps i have uh, let the last year make me very cynical and i was always always like somewhat cynical in my perspectives and i try not to and i know it's not a virtue but um yeah movies like that always remind me where it's like nah everyone's trying yeah yeah like people are generally trying. good like you know when given the opportunity to do good people want to do that you know? yeah and the assholes are the um, outliers they're just loud yeah yeah exactly so yeah and that's it a lot of more fun right on yeah man oh man i'm glad brett bad trip got some <laughs> got some love on here that movie is so funny it's, eric it's andre funny. is just that guy is funny in a way that i don't really understand but yeah, my god i i, I, I don't him. get it i don't get it but that's great. That's why he exists for me not nope. to understand, for me to enjoy. Right on. Yep. Yes, indeed. That's so crazy. He used to date Rosaria Dawson. I don't know who I'm more jealous of. But uh, <laughs> man, oh man. But um, all right. All right. I guess that's everything. Happy yeah, let's, year, let's wrap it up. Everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year, listeners. Um, thank you for 2021. Uh, thanks for sticking through the transition as we bounced over to a new server and shifted the show around a little bit. There's going to be some more changes coming. Uh, in regards to that, uh, I am going to be skipping one episode. So two weeks from now, uh, don't expect a new episode. Just stay close to the uh, social medias. But then the next one will be right on schedule as I set some stuff up. Uh, you can find everything at Movie Movie Cast on all of the social media. It's part of the Movie John Podcast Network. So you can check out moviejohn.com. Uh, you can find links to all of that at my website, scullyvision.com. And uh, check out my other show, Hot Property. Uh, available wherever you find podcasts at hot property pod i think nice. that's it for me i'm gonna order a fucking pizza and eat the whole damn thing <laughs> amazing there's this place near me that has a i'm really pizza jealous because i can't really Ooh. eat anything right now so uh, thanks for rubbing it in. i'm sorry no, I, I forgot i had i had some it. like dry i had some very mild pasta earlier so i i think and i'm hungry again so that's good there you go so we'll see what else i'm in the mood for i'm not above buttered noodles as a delicacy it's, I'm, I'm fucking the job done. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Anything you would like to plug? 
Uh, yeah, just you can follow me on Letterboxd, search for Golden Hair. Um, that's my name on there. And I write for Movie John. Um, so yeah, just, uh, you know, one of those two places hit me up. And, uh, you know, um, I, I blog and review every movie I watch, and I watch a lot of them. So it's kind of like the little story of my life in movie form. Nice. Um, good stuff. Yeah, but thanks a lot for having me on. This, this oh, of course. A big, a big pick-me-up on uh, at the end of our, you know, rough end of the year, for sure seconded i was going through it this morning i left my yeah. laundry in the rain like a fucking oh, idiot well i, I a me- last night a metaphor my the laundry machine i used at the it like burst midway through my load so okay. like so the clothes were like sopping wet they didn't get a spin ah. cycle so i had to wash them again and then dry them again and then a couple things were still a little damp so i just put them on the porch and then it rained last night so i had to start over so Great. rough rough end to a crazy year yeah. but i'm back yeah, and, we're back. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll start off the year on a good note. Hells yeah. So happy 2022, listeners. Um, I promise I'll come up with a new sign-off. I don't have one. So I'll just say, I love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that works, right? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> hey.